using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13 on Airstrip 1, it's Tuesday, the 7th of February, year of our Lord, 2023. Day 1062 of two weeks to flatten the curve. This is Tony Arterburn. I'm filling in for the great David Knight. I'm joined by the one and only guard Goldsmith. We've got a great Thanks show. for having me, Tony. Glad you're here, brother. We have to get all of that theme in guard. We can't, we can't not let the music run. My friend, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, uh, indeed, thanks for letting the music do the talking as, uh, was Aerosmith might've said. That's right. Uh, yeah. Great composition from David and, uh, welcome to day. Yes. 1062. Right. I remember filling in for him when it was in the hundreds, like, I remember on, uh, being in Infowars in Austin. It was like one thousand or one hundred and forty something. So <laughs> we've been been around Man. for a while. The, the that curve is really flat now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> two, two weeks to to flatten your world. That's yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank David, uh, and we uh, wish him a speedy recovery. I think it's just uh, just a temporary thing. I don't think anything uh, really really something to worry about. But uh, looks like he's going to take a day off, and we'll be here. And we've got. Uh, uh, Donald Jeffries is going to join us in the second hour, along with Billy Ray Valentine. So we'll have the entire America Unplugged crew. And uh, you and I, my friend, will be here for the entire three. Uh, I'll be, since I have you today, I can pay a little bit more attention to the chat. And again, uh, any donations today are going to go to David. So if you, uh, if you feel like donating today, please do that. Uh, we'll go over sometime in the show in the next three hours. I'll go over gold and silver prices. We'll talk about... Uh, a little bit of macroeconomics, maybe cryptocurrency, all that good stuff. I'll throw that in there. But uh, uh, Guard, as usual, uh, comes uh, completely prepared, had all the links ready. I was uh, I was about 15 minutes late to the prep, and he said, no, I've already got everything. So I didn't have to – this is like when you, uh, <laughs> when you have uh, – uh, somebody has a nicer vehicle than you, and you get to borrow it, and you see just so much nice for a longer road trip, and it, uh, you don't have to use your old clunky car. So this is a uh, guard showing up with the Cadillac version of, of prepping for the <laughs> show. Um, well, so thanks. we'll start off with, if you want, we can jump into the headlines and uh, you and I didn't even get a chance to discuss uh, the balloon. Uh, we haven't, oh. you and I haven't talked about the balloon stuff yet. And uh, there's a story up on zero hedge. We'll, we'll try to get to uh, here in a bit about NORAD. Cause that's the first thing I thought of was, was the incompetence or, or the planned incompetence on purpose incompetence of NORAD with this balloon thing. And uh, exactly much to do about nothing, I think, but uh, uh, guard, what, what do you want to start with my friend here in this first hour? 
Well, you know, uh, the, the balloon story is just so ridiculous. And there are always the lighter stories to sort of ease people into the day. You know, sort of like opening your eyes just a little bit to let a little bit of the sunshine in versus, you know, going going super bright and everything. But um, there are a number of other stories that are out there as well that uh, about which people might want to be aware. Of course, uh, one that has actually gotten a little bit of traction even on the the uh, conservative news is the uh, revelation that the CDC uh, actually had um, put together a tracking scheme to track whether people were vaccinated, so-called, or not jabbed. And uh, that's a subject that, you know, I've mentioned on my program numerous times or filling in for David, um, that I tried to warn people back in 1996 uh, when they passed HIPAA that that was something that the federal government was claiming the power that they could do sans warrants or anything. And everybody wondered how, how can they do contact tracing? So that's a story that's out there. And also in the news, um, the world health organization finished its meeting last week. And James Ruguski has some pretty good coverage of this, uh, at his Substack. And there is another meeting coming up and that looks like they're going to continue working this sort of duality where they're they're deflecting, they're um, getting drawing people's attention away with the pandemic treaty that they're working on. When really the other hand that's picking our pocket and taking our rights is are the revisions that they're going to be doing for um, their already established agreements that countries have already signed on to. So that's a real slippery way that they're going to start um, claiming a lot of powers. In fact, one of them actually claims the power for the World Health Organization to basically take control of all medicine. Uh, it's absolutely crazy, including genetic research. So, yeah, and uh, to fund it through various means. And also, um, uh, in association with that, there's what's going on in Ukraine and uh, the United States continuing, even the, even, I, I can't really say even GOP, but including, of course, the rhinos in the GOP for more weapons funding to Ukraine and some very interesting information about how the United Nations wants to control speech as uh, Mr. Gutierrez is sort of siding along with people like the governor of California, Gavin Newsom and others who are very interested in enacting their new law, which is now currently on pause because it's going through the courts to pull licenses of doctors. It's sort of a large scale world domination hegemonic version of that. And it's utterly fascist. And Gutierrez, when people hear this, this audio or, or if they're watching, if they see the video of Gutierrez, it's unbelievable. So those are a few things that I've been looking at uh, on, my, uh, on my radar. And also there's one sort of minor story, which is about Tom Jones in uh, Wales, the Welsh rugby squad uh, had for years seen people singing Delilah, his 1968 first number one worldwide hit, uh, which is a lament about a man who has killed his love out of a fit of jealousy. And uh, they're now saying, well, you know, it promotes violence against women, so we can't sing it. Totally missing the point of the song. So those are a few things that are that are out there. So a lot of that has to do with, the, you know, just the 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 mentality of the woke to control speech. And a lot of it has to do with how um, the people who have been feeding this mentality are now trying to lever the, menta the mentality to uh, wipe out uh, free speech online in a very fascist way.
That's the thing about satanic cultural Marxism. It uh, doesn't have a lot of variety, does it? <laughs> <laughs> just check out the just check out the Grammys. It was all red. It was oh, all it, red. Not surprising at all. I mean, it's like they they fi they finally just reveal themselves as, as what they truly are. They're not even they're not in hiding anymore. They're like, oh no, we worship Satan. Like we, we <laughs> love all this stuff. Yeah, it's uh, par for the course. I've kind of expected it, and it's just gonna and, and it's you know the talent declines along with their revealing as well, which is interesting. In that Great ratio. Time. Did you want me to pull yeah. up that uh, disclose uh, TV um, of the, the sure in general Twitter uh, feed? General, let's pull that yeah. up. That's yeah, Gutierrez at the UN, folks. Um, wait till you hear what he has to say. And and anybody who's been, you know, we're all sensitive to this, Tony. But um, this might be something to play for some other people and then to pause it for them and say, listen to that. Think about what he's saying here, folks. Think about what that actually means in actual process. Let's play it. We'll call for action from everyone with influence on the spread of mis- and disinformation on the Internet. Governments, regulators, policymakers, technology companies, the media, civil society. Stop the hate. Set up strong guardrails. Be accountable for language that causes harm. And as part of my report or common agenda, we are convening all stakeholders around the Code of Conduct for information integrity on digital platforms. And we'll also further strengthen our focus on how means and disinformation are impacting progress on global issues, including the climate crisis. I've got to throw the climate crisis in there, Guard. Oh, absolutely. We've got to save the world by stopping the hate and the miss and the dis. Mister, is there a Mr. Information? I don't know. Is there a, I'm not sure. Um, you could pause that at about six different points to say, first of all, who defines what is mis- and disinformation, right? Because I think a lot of Americans have finally realized that do, pulling the Aristotelian fallacy of claiming that there's some authority that can decide what is mis- and disinformation probably was a pretty bad idea over the past three years, you know? Especially when the purveyors of that terminology were then going to Washington Nationals games after they had sent internal emails to to uh, people from NIAID and said, well, you know, masks aren't really that important, then said that they were important and then sat in the stands by pulling down his stinking mask. Maybe people are starting to awaken to the fact that this go turn to authority idea is a bad, bad idea, but they're not doing it. And Gavin Newsom, as we know, in California, they passed uh, along these lines, they passed AB 2098 and AB 2098 allows the state that, that it's a particular branch of the state, of course, the licensing board to pull the licenses of medical professionals, particularly doctors whom they have deemed in their great authoritarian way to have been spreading the misinformation. It must have been Russian. It's Russian medicine. That's what it is. We got hacked. I couldn't help it. What can I say? I just said what Vladimir Putin told me to say about your cold. So I'm sorry. It's actually COVID 8000 and you're going to die. You know, so that's that's it's unbelievable. And the other thing about that, that Gutierrez says is you can hear the mix of fascism that is right in there, because it's one thing for a politician to say, you know, in their in their great way. Oh, these people are lying. Don't listen to them. It's another thing for the government or some body of the government like the U.N., which is so massively funded by our tax money. 
uh, it's another thing for Gutierrez to say, we must work with, uh, with the technology uh, and online platforms and social media to take care of this stuff, to knock out the stuff that we say is inappropriate. You know, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's a, it's a dizzying array of fascist statements coming from Gutierrez. Yeah, I think uh, going back to your point, I think Mr. Disinformation transitioned or something. I think that may have what happened. Uh, but, you know, you talk about the banality of evil, and I think that's what we're up against and what we're looking uh, in this decade. There's going to be a lot of these type of, of speeches and a lot of these types of policy proposals, and it's going to sound a lot like that. I mean, it's not going to be a lot of yelling. It's not going to be a lot of name calling per se from the lead. It's going to sound really benign, but re but it's over the top evil. Like, you know, again, censoring speech, using technology to do that uh, thought crime. I mean, these are all the, the dystopian things that they want to roll out. And uh, again, that's that's what we have to look for. It's not going to it's not going to come out and, 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 and advertise itself as, as pure evil. It's going to be the the the, the boring uh, you know, these types, these are the research you're going to have to do. Look at what these people are saying. This is what they want to implement. And it's coming from, you know, th this is the the bones of the new world order. The structure is the United Nations, you know, born out of the of, of the end of World War II. Uh, the first head of the U.N. Did you know this was Alger Hiss? Did you know Seriously? First no, I didn't know yeah, that. We setting up in the Presidio uh, outside of San Francisco, they put together the the original body like to start the. Uh, the articles and everything that was it was Alger Hiss, you know, there and oh. again, that was uh, Richard Nixon exposed him as a, well, they would didn't convict him as a, a Soviet spy he was a massive Soviet spy, you know, Whitaker Chambers right. and turned evidence against him. But, you know, he was with at uh, with Roosevelt at Yalta and had, you know, again, contacts with the Soviet government. So, yeah, it was. A, and again, did you know that the, the building where the U.N. stands today was donated by the Rockefellers? But yes, you, yes. You know what I, it was I heard about before? No, you know what, what it what it's what it was built on. It was built on a slaughterhouse. Ah, oh. unbelievable! You know the significance of these things. It's just it blows your mind. You know, uh, uh, take for example, you remember the uh, the two way bombings at King's Cross around was it two thousand five in England, and they had a couple bombs on buses as well, and they. There, there was one bus that was a non-numbered bus. I think Steve and Paul Watson covered this pretty well, Paul Joseph Watson. Uh, it, it wasn't actually on any run, and they don't even know where it came from. They, they claimed that there was a bomb on that one. They drove it around, and they blew the bomb up out on the streets. And guess where they did it? Across the street from the Tavistock Institute, the building for the Tavistock Institute. I was like... I think we get the message. I understand now. That whole thing was totally bogus. It was like the last firework going off. Unbelievable. Amazing. And, you know, you remind me, Tony, one of the things that, that you know, just a, a, a ring comes to mind as we look at this. Obviously, the government has worked for a long time. And I've, I've often discussed the, the illegitimacy of the FCC and its origins in the Federal Radio Commission in the 1920s. And uh, Herbert Hoover being involved with that and how it was used to play favorites even back then so that certain radio people would try to influence the FRC, how they delayed television. And we could have had we other people could have had in the United States could have had television five years before it actually was allowed because the radio owners didn't want the government to license 
television owners to put to get onto the airways. And, you know, uh, the argument there, just to sort of mention this briefly, and I'd like to mention something about Section 230 as well, is they say that, and I actually had a conversation about this uh, with uh, Congressman Ed Markey. Um, it's, it's kind of a crazy story, but I was in uh, in Michigan at Hillsdale College at an economics conference uh, just after the Janet Jackson imbroglio at the Super Bowl in, what was it, 2004, 2003, 2000, yeah, 2004. And um, uh, they were pushing the FCC to try to increase the fines, so-called, for indecency on television because, of course, Janet Jackson needed to get that attention because she had hit middle age. So Justin Timberlake took care of that for her. And uh, so anyway, it was a ridiculous and utterly offensive stunt. And um, so already CBS was getting all sorts of blowback from people who had been watching, advertisers who were going to pull out and so on. They were getting the response, the negative response that was appropriate for something like that. But it wasn't enough because the government guys had to grandstand. So I was in my hotel. Little, I was in a motel, a little tiny motel just outside of Hillsdale. And I was watching C-SPAN. And, and that morning I saw that Ed Markey, who then was a congressman from Massachusetts, hardcore lefty, was deriding CBS. And they wanted to first have the FCC apply their fines, not just to CBS as a network, but to every CBS affiliate, which would have increased the, the fine amount by who knows how, however many you know affiliates they've got, 200, 150, I don't even know, right? In addition to that, they wanted to increase the amount for the fine of indecency as described by the government, by the FCC. So I said, boy, what I wouldn't give because these guys claim the federal government can control the airways for two reasons. One, it's a scarce resource, the radio spectrum, and they're not even thinking about cable, right? So that, so, and I'll get into the rest of it in a minute. Two, they claim that radio waves go over the air, go over the uh, state borders, which is a ridiculous expansion of the interstate commerce clause and was not intended as James Madison openly wrote to people in the early 1800s. He's like, it wasn't designed for that. It was supposed to be state on state tariffs and it could be resolved in Congress. It was remedial, not preemptory. So, okay. So my flight still, I'm sitting there going, oh, what I wouldn't give to just get a piece of that guy's ear, you know? Get a piece of that guy's little finger, whatever. <laughs> so I go to get my plane and it's delayed. And everything gets all messed up. Delta was my original flyer. They took care of me very, very well. They said, look, we're going to fly in here because I had to get back to Boston by a certain time. Otherwise, I would have had to sleep in a hotel in Boston. So they're like, yeah, we can get you here. So they switched me over. They ended up flying me into Reagan Airport on another carrier. They put me on another carrier. They were great. Very, very good people. So I get into Reagan. I'm all I had like two minutes to get from one gate to another gate. You know, I'm running, 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 running. And uh, I'm, I'm sort of like those old O.J. Simpson commercials where he's like jumping suitcases and stuff, except, yeah, except I don't have any murderous intent in any way whatsoever. Um, and my gloves fit, by the way. Uh, but anyway, so if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Exactly. We must acquit. I, I drive a little faster in my white Bronco as well. But anyway, so I get I sit down on the plane. I'm all sweaty and crazy and stuff. I'm like, <sighs> And I, I look up and who's boarding the plane, but Ed Markey. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 
And so I was like, I said, hey, congressman. And he goes, and he's all quaffed. He's in this long wool coat, you know, and he's going to the back of the plane. I'm in the front, close to the front. And I say, hey, congressman. He goes, yes. I was like, I think your bill stinks. He's like, which is that? And I said, well, you can take your pick because I'm a libertarian, so we probably don't agree. <laughs> so I said, but your FCC proposal. He goes, oh, well, I think that's very important. We can't allow for this indecency. I was like, well, that's totally subjective, first of all. And second of all, the First Amendment kind of prevents you from that. But let me just ask you. And I went through, I was like, this idea of scarcity. I said, that that could also, if they say that the radio spectrum is a scarce resource, at any given time on the planet, trees are also a scarce resource. Hypothetically, you could use up every tree. Are you going to regulate paper printing and written words and books as well? You're going to have the FCC control that? He goes, well, and I was like, and then, of course, there's the Interstate Commerce Clause. No, I, I said the Interstate Commerce Clause bit first. And, uh, and he says, well, I think you'll find the people. He used the people on the plane as his defense, the majority, democracy over speech. I think you'll find the people on this plane think that it's very important. Yeah, well, tyrants like, love that. Tyrants love democracy. Yeah. It works out really well for them. You know, I was thinking yeah. um, something you don't hear often anymore, which I don't want to, to, to be heard, but they used to talk a lot about bringing back the fairness doctrine, which was repealed. I think it was put in place in the 1930s. And I, that might have had to do with Father Conklin and, and some of the others that were on the radio at the time against Roosevelt. Um, and you fast forward to the 1980s, it's repealed. And that's where you get the rise of Rush Limbaugh and, and exactly. the talk radio on the right. You don't hear much of it anymore because in my opinion, I'm in, you know, I have, I kept one hour on a major uh, talk radio station. I have out of San Antonio on 9.30 AM, The Answer. And, and they're great people. I, you know, they, they've left me on air for almost five years. So that's pretty cool of them. But you don't have the, the talk radio anymore in America, Guard. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it's it has been neutralized in a lot of ways. There is not a lot of fight there. It's a lot of partisanship. It's a lot of roads that lead to nowhere, a lot of dead ends, especially after the, the Trump era. I mean, it was just defanged. And so you don't really hear them going after. There's no talk radio leaders anymore in that in that realm. That And again, I just that whole industry. You know, God bless it, but it's dying. I mean, every time I hear from them, it's just, you know, you could just see it on the stick because there's there's no personalities that using the airwaves, which I thought five years ago when I, you know, restarted my show, I thought, well, this is the place to be, you know, and this is a this is a, a zone where they really can't censor me. That's kind of not true. We saw after the the uh, vaccine mandates and Dan Bongino is one of those people that, you know, regretted having his staff had to take it, it was cumulus rate. I used to be with cumulus and it's just Again, it's it's corporatist and, uh, the, you know, they're regulating their hosts there, but they they are I'm neutralized, neutered uh, is probably a better word. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think talk radio, I, I had the same mindset as you, Tony, you know, as I looked at how they were trying to clamp down back in 2017, uh, shutting down sites, going after uh, YouTubers, shadow banning people. You know, Mark Dice was one of the first people. He actually did it in real time and recorded how he, he was shadow banned. And uh, and, you know, we know. Uh, especially at that time, Infowars itself was was really being hit. Uh, David was over there. Um, they were some of the few people who were actually giving giving real coverage. I mean, David on the ground at the Bundy Ranch, you know, uh, down there. It, it just incredible, incredible stuff. And uh, very little coverage from any of the, the major networks at all. Uh, Fox, uh, you know, very brief coverage here and there. 
uh, talk radio. I think they're finding having to find their way in an, in another way right now. And I, I think that a lot of it has come. It, it's amazing because right now they haven't had to worry too much about the reinstitution of that Orwellian titled fairness doctrine. You know, another great example of how politicians who want to do something nefarious will give something a nice, a seemingly nice sounding name. Um, and because what would be better than having fairness on the radio? Of course, that fairness will be dictated by political figures. And it ended up during those those decades when it was applied it ended up silencing speech on on radio because nobody wanted to get into anything controversial because the government would come down on them and claim, well, you have to get every possible voice on that opposes this. It's like, geez, well, if I own this piece of property, can't I have speakers come that I invite? You know, it's a similar sort of thing. And the government says, no, because we own the airways. You know, it's always that fascistic government's got to control everything and they're our airways. Well, that means they're nobody's airways. You know, you can't, the government is not us. The government doesn't represent everyone because if it represented everyone, it wouldn't be a polis. You know, it, it forces itself on people. So what's interesting there is I think there's, there's, a, there's a bit of um, a change coming in talk and I, I can't quite figure it out, but we here doing David's show and you doing your work and what I just started up over at Rockfin as well, thanks to you and David and some of the other really good people who've, you know, given me the opportunity to do fill-ins, the Rockfin people accepted me. Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities now for this sort of DIY decentralized um, approach to broadcasting, but we're all possibly going to be affected by government controls that they're going to try to institute. So I think in the end, I keep looking at radio as for a certain period, if they do try to clamp down on the internet, they might not do both at the same time. So there might actually be an opportunity for talk radio because it's still in many cars. People just turn their radio on rather than trying to stream in their cars or whatever. Yeah, there's a percentage that has decreased, I think, of listenership. Um, but I think there, there are still some nooks and crannies there to be taken advantage of. And I think that if there is a crackdown, it's the, the way that people are going to get around it is, of course, shortwave will, will always be there, I hope. Yes, um, I can't so. say that with, yeah. And then uh, talk radio, there might still be some independent voices. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a, a couple of years to sort of shake out. But I've noticed the same sort of thing. And I think part of it is because there's there's some really good, strong competition from people online. I mean, amazing people online. And the radio stations just took a long time to, to even recognize those people. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll start bringing them in on 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 their on their airwaves. We'll see. Well, they're definitely having a problem. I mean, I'm talking about the, the right wing, if you want to call it that conservative talk radio is in, is in steep decline. And, and again, they try, they tried it with the, the left uh, st- standpoint and that didn't work. Um, that, I mean, yeah. there was, there's no market for that because really the, the people that the, the voters on the left and people that are, that tune into that, uh, don't really tune in anything other than cable news sometimes, but it's more like the man on the street that doesn't know that there's seven days in a week and you know, like takes the, takes the chocolate bar over the 10 ounce bar of silver or, you know, all that good stuff. But, you exactly. know, I, I've been yeah. on short wave for a while too. I, um, one of the things I read a, a biography on William Cooper, who wrote uh, Behold a Pale Horse, and this is, I found out all about the radio wars of the 90s on shortwave, and I thought, this is really cool. So I called up uh, WWCR, which is Worldwide Christian Radio out of Nashville, 
about three years ago. And uh, I've the Yardburn radio transmission has been on shortwave ever since. I'm actually on two different uh, feeds. So like you filled in for me on my show. So you've been heard over shortwave and it's 100,000 watts. And so I think, and wow. again, the cool thing about shortwave is there's no commercials. It's not really regulated at all from what i understand um there's i mean you just you, it's it's an, you get when i buy the hour it's 58 minutes and it's mine and so that's, uh, that's how fantastic. i use it yeah so yeah short wave can be uh, very effective oh yeah and and so many people have invested in repeaters that uh, stuff can go even further than you think you know farther than you think you know a hundred thousand watts is insane stuff can go right around the world yeah. uh it's it's terrific yeah short wave would be great and and i i, I should mention you know um, when you talk about things like the fairness doctrine, just to lay, lay all that out, um, uh, that, that of course smothered, um, stifled free speech until the FCC under Reagan, just as he was finishing, uh, got rid of, and it was through Reagan's dictate, I believe he said, no, get rid of it. Uh, they got rid of it. And of course you saw the rise of Rush Limbaugh talk radio that actually led to the rise of Fox news because the original producer and, you know, um, sort of a supporter for Rush. Uh, was Roger Ailes, and then Roger Ailes went over and helped start Fox News. So a lot of that uh, all stemmed from the change in the fairness doctrine, which the Democrats and hardcore lefties really lamented. They hated it. Uh, but now they've got this Section 230, which is a similar sort of, um, although they haven't really been exercising it. And I hope people recognize that within the 1996 so-called um, Telecommunications Decency Act, they had this thing called Section 230. A lot of people, you know, have heard the terminology. And um, what it does is because the government claims to be able to control anything that goes over state borders. And in this case, it's communications, even though the First Amendment should cover this, they still are going to say, well, under Section 230, they allow the people who run websites or are um, Internet service providers to be um, absolved from any sort of liability for personal injury suits or state indecency um, uh, felonious actions against them. Uh, as long as those people who run the sites, because of course, you know, if you're running a website, how are you gonna be able to control everything that goes out there? Uh, unless those, as long as those people um, manage the websites, they, can, they won't be termed editors like uh, magazine editors, uh, they'll be turned, uh, they'll be turned publishers and, uh, or basically it'll just be called a platform and therefore they'll be immune from liability. But they say you won't be immune from a liability as if you do not, um, what do they call that? Uh, when you're in a museum, you are the, uh, curate, not, yeah, curate. Yeah. If you don't curate this stuff in good faith, but who determines what's good faith? The FCC. So they've always held that it's much it's very similar to the fairness doctrine. And a lot of people don't realize this. And uh, so like a lot of the, a lot of my friends at the MRC, I wasn't sure they're more sort of paleo conservative. But it turns out they actually are uh, aboard with what I'm what I'm talking about. And this is one of the major problems when people look at the idea that the government should have some sway over what the Internet is. Well, already we can see when the government decides that you're not curating something the way that they want it curated, they haven't overtly used Section 230, but in a way they practically come out with the end result, which is what they did at Twitter, what they did at Facebook, the back doors of Twitter and Facebook, the money that they gave to them. So that was their friends. What are they going to do to their enemies? Right. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, that the the censorship, and again, that's that's what their goal is, is to try to capture that. And one of the ways that they're able to do that, I think, is these faux movements. We saw that through uh, QAnon. We thought through the, the MAGA movement. I mean, if you can't really control the speech, then you control the people that speak. And that's uh, that's my again, you can control it through uh, through narrative boundaries. And I think that's what we've seen in the last few years. And that's why I think they're in the doldrums. I think that's why so much is on, on the decline as people start to awaken and start to look around and think, why, you know, why, why are we in this situation? Why aren't you pushing back? Why didn't you stand up for the against the the the, the jab bioweapon and the, and the mandates and all the rest and Operation Warp Speed? Why did you not uh, speak out against the lockdown? That that inertia, I think that's where we are now, and um, there could be a, a, a time for a reawakening. And, and uh, I, I hope that uh, I'm wrong, and, and talk radio isn't in a decline. But I, I see, I really see no evidence of it emerging anywhere. I mean, uh, you know, you I, I I try to to stay in touch with because I find myself I'm a conservative, you know, if you want to call it that. I don't like that word because there's nothing left to conserve. Um, but I, I'm a restorationist and, but I'm a traditionalist paleo conservative, you know, mix of libertarian and all the rest, you know, you and I've had extensive conversations on this. And so I, I definitely want, uh, you know, to stay in touch with my roots on the, the so-called right, but it's become some of it's just insufferable. I don't know if you've, it's, it, you're still yeah. caught up in MAGA. There's still kind of these in like the, the Steve Bannon, uh, type conservatives and stuff. I, I, I tune on, tune into revolver. You know, and I, there was a great article yesterday, and I thought about bringing it up, and and you and I can even discuss the the premise of it. But it was talking about uh, Pat Buchanan recently retired uh, from his column. He's been writing since the days of, of Barry Goldwater, and I'm a huge Pat Buchanan uh, fan. And uh, and again, he's one of. I wish I had had a chance to interview him or talk to him uh, because for you know 20 plus years I've been reading his books and and studying his philosophy. But it it, it was mixed in with you know um, he helped create the Trump era and Trump used his stuff. And I'm like, yeah, he, for lack of a better word, bastardized it. I mean, he took it and he, he made it inert. I mean, all the, all of us that were out here, you know, wanting uh, to bring back economic nationalism, which you and I have talked about, but bringing back you're bringing the troops home, having a border, not a new world order, having a Republic, not an empire, you know, the, the, you know, the, the paleo conservative nationalistic approach uh, to, to American politics. And, you know, that was hijacked by, and, and, and again, I mean, you, you, they were talking about how, you know, Buchanan's career had spanned so many decades and how he's proven right on so much. It was a great piece, but they had to mix in the orange guy. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, it's just such a waste. You know, what a, I, I've still, <laughs> I still, I still just have so much, you know, uh, gut reaction to that when I see it. So I'm, I try to stay in touch with, with, uh, and that's where the news is. You know, because only only really on our side really pays attention. You get the the crazies and the the Marxists and socialists that are that are engaged, but nothing like it is on on the uh, as far as the everyday person and the grassroots being staying in touch. But they they buy into a lot of these uh, publications. Absolutely, and you know, Tony, um, there with any sort of movement, and especially you know a, a great grassroots movement like uh, like Pad had a couple times on on the hustings. Um, uh, those things always have the, the, the little fibers on the sides that these uh, opportunists can try to grab, that the little strings they can try to grab to pull that sweater apart and then use the yarn in the way that they might want to use it. And um, I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes uh, you might see somebody who 
is part of an organization that is, you know, very anti-war within the conservative movement, but they might have friends who are uh, very, you know, X, Y, or Z on another topic. And they'll say, you know, that might be a topic where actually it lends more power to say, oh, oh, big pharma, or it might lend more power to the FCC or whatever it might be. So, you know, not everybody is going to be consistent, obviously. Um, but it is difficult because when you see a straight up guy like Pat Buchanan, and, you know, I disagreed with him on a number of things, but I, you know, I met him personally many times, super nice guy. You know, he was, he, he used to talk to my, my mom and dad on the phone when he was coming into New Hampshire and everything. And they worked really hard for his campaigns. And he was a great guy, you know, and um, it is, it is very frustrating to see how a lot of these movements are suborned and, or there are certain, you know, strata within them that certain power blocks will try to utilize. They'll try to mine those strata, you know, like sort of like when they um, came up with horizontal oil mining, you know, you could go down and rather going straight down, you could turn left or right or whatever and go to another, another area, another repository for oil. And um, that was an amazing invention. What's that? The Kuwaitis did that to Iraq. Yeah. 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 That's right. So better take out Kuwait. It's called, it's called slant drilling. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, so, um, yeah. So it was interesting because I was thinking about how, uh, as you say, there are there are the uh, institutional ways that they, they try to silence people or, or control narratives. And then there are the social uh, psychosomatic um, institutions, not institutions, but uh, um, tactics that they use. And one of the things I'll bring up, which is something that uh, David has brought up before, it's this, uh, uh, and you can call this up probably too, uh, it's that uh, C2PA that David mentioned from Adobe, the BBC, Microsoft, the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authenticity. And this is another way that not just through the government, through Section 230, but again, when we hear Gutierrez talking about how we have to stop the misinformation and the disinformation, then he goes a step further and says, hate, hate speech. Again, all, all the people who forcibly take my neighbor's money, and if my neighbor protests, they will put him in jail. And if he doesn't want to go to jail, they are licensed to kill him if he wants to just remain in his home and he defends it. So here we've got pure fascism, the C2PA. The BBC, of course, is funded through the television tax, and it's heavily controlled by the feder by the government of England. You've got Microsoft heavily in bed with the federal government. You've got Twitter. We already know that Twitter was getting millions of dollars from the FBI and was communicating through backdoor means with them. And by the way, there's a new announcement that came out just recently, probably in the past oh, 13 hours or so. And, you know, people take a, take what they can get uh, from this. But Elon Musk evidently is starting to uncover even more because um, you might be aware of this over at Conservative Treehouse. There's a very good piece over there sort of describing if people can imagine a coffee shop and he called it Jack's Magic Bean Coffee Shop or something like that. And he said, imagine a guy starts a coffee shop and he wants to welcome all customers and so on and so forth. This might be giving a little bit too much credit to, to Jack of, of Twitter. But um, so he, he says, imagine then 
that some government guys say, hey, we really love what you're doing here. We'd like to help you out. And we've got a lot of, you need staffers. And we got staffers with expertise who could really help you. So not only do you hire some of those staffers, but they also give you technology. And what appears to be going on is it looks like they're starting to get into the hardware that is part of Twitter's setup. And evidently, uh, this is just my conjecture, but it looks like the the next set of revelations, and I'm, I could be wrong here, but it looks like there's going to be something that has to do with what is what was built into some of the items that Twitter and Jack Dorsey actually got from the federal government, which could be pretty amazing. But uh, what else do you need? They already have. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, and, uh, companies, but they're but they're private. Yeah, that's just arsenic on the poison cake. You know, we've already been fed. So anyway, it's just it's just more of an example. But that that coalition for content provenance and authenticity that then leads me to uh, another another. So that one, of course, is the one where they want to attach the unique identifier to all users. You will have to be public. And of course, they're not going to be able to make everything public because people will find ways to get around ISPs. And that goes all the way back, as I've mentioned before, that goes all the way back to who can control the cable and cell towers. Of course, cell towers grew out of branching certain radio frequencies off because the government claims they can control it, putting controls in over what can go out there on the cell cell phone uh, frequencies. And the deal that the government made back in World War One to give AT&T a monopoly over phone lines as a so-called national security issue. They allowed them to keep it until the breakup towards the end of Jimmy Carter's uh, regime and the start of Ronald Reagan's regime. That split AT&T into what they called the baby bells. There was 9X, Southwestern Bell, and um, um, all these different, like 9X stood for New York, New England Exchange. And so they were they all became subcorporations split off supposedly autonomous from AT&T. And now they've all rejoined AT&T. But part of what happened during that period after when they did the so-called breakup of the monopoly, which was a government granted monopoly, was they as part of the deal, they allowed the, uh, the baby bells to control the fiber optic cable that they had been putting in and they prevented, they prohibited any competitors for cable television or cable supply of, of digital information to be able to put in what they called parallel lines next to the lines that the, the uh, you know, along the roads or anything like that next to the telephone lines. So any competitors that wanted to enter the market couldn't travel along those same routes that had already been established on public telephone poles for AT&T. So they were riding the advantage they had gotten from public telephone poles for electricity and telephone and their monopoly status as the phone phone uh, provider for decades. And then they got the monopoly of preventing people from being able to put fiber optic cable down along those routes. They had to find other routes. That's part of the reason why we have so few choices in digital fiber optic communications. And the other part of it is that they allowed the towns to decide what cable providers for television could come into the towns. And that was a political football too. So a lot of this, when you look at things like the Coalition for Content Pro, uh, Provenance and things like that, when they say, 
oh yeah, we're going to make sure that you have a unique identifier and you're not going to be able to get to an internet service provider. Well, all of this history is all combined in here. All of this manipulation of the market is all part of this giant ball of wax with all the flies attached to it. We don't have a real market here. So when they claim that, yeah, we're going to be able to uh, do this, it's a clearly fascist government combo that's saying these corporations are going to work very hard to make sure that at the outset, your computer has the ID on it. It's put into your hardware. You won't be able to do anything online, but people will develop their own. You know, they'll work on their own. They'll work with their own software and hardware to make sure that they can ride into the systems. But the systems that have been in place have been in place and restricted because of the government. We could have a lot more opportunities for people to ride pirate and go their own way, as Fleetwood Mac would say, if we could just get the government history out of the way. But we can't. So anyway, that is that is a pretty big deal. And of course, it all lends to ID so you can get online restricting your speech, and then eventually giving you a digital ID that will have all of your information on it, including your money. And that brings us to Australia. I don't know if you want to mention this one to the audience, but maybe David Knight's audience would want to check this out. But in Australia, they're pushing for a digital ID. And that one is called the MyGov One-Stop Shop. And you can see this one from the Sydney Morning Herald. Australians would be able to use their Medicare cards, display their driver's license, renew passports, and enroll to vote on a one-stop shop phone app similar to an Apple wallet. Gee, I wonder if it they might turn it into an Australian CBDC wallet. And it was from the, um, it's going to be transforming the MyGov app. So we already know how they crushed dissent in Australia. We already know how they pulled people off the streets, shut things down, tried to close people's bank accounts in both Australia and in Canada. We saw what Justin Trudeau did to people who merely wanted to donate to the truckers so they could buy food and, and fuel. The app would also allow Australians to verify their identity with banks, phone companies, and utilities providers without handing over identity documents. Well, so wouldn't that be, yeah, so. wouldn't that be a, a digital document? Why are they saying they wouldn't have to hand over documents? Now they will have to have a digital document. It's incredible. And Tony, I was listening to a really good conversation on uh, the last last American Vagabond over the weekend. Ryan was speaking, Ryan Christians was talking with uh, Derek Rose. And, and they mentioned how the way that the corporations and the governments have started to move these chess pieces over decades, and it fits a pattern that they often do, is they basically move corporations and, and, and policies in such a way that when they finally, that, that it makes it difficult for people to live their lives in the old way. And it's not a market choice. They steer the, they, they restrict the market choices. They give you false choices. It's a Hegelian dialectic, uh, although it's done on multiple vectors. So it might not be two. It might be three or four choices at first that the government gives you. Then they winnow it down. Well, you can do it these three ways now. Then they winnow it down again. And I'll give you the example. Out of Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker, and I mentioned this on my show last night, Charlie Baker said, 
uh, during the, the height of the pandemic craziness. He said, oh, we're not going to so-called pandemic. We're not going to have uh, vaccines, so-called passports here. Well, little did people know that for the next two months behind the scenes, he worked with technology and university people to actually help develop a digital ID for jab passports. And this is precisely what they ended up rolling out later. And hardly any reporter said, gee, you know, I kind of remember you kind of, I'll do it in my Bill Gates. I kind of remember you kind of, you know, said that, uh, or maybe I can rock back. That's what I was going to say. You got you to be authentic. You have to rock back and forth. Yeah, exactly. I kind of remember you had this idea where you weren't going to be doing that. So, um, yeah. So this is a great example of how, as Derek and Ryan were mentioning, they pre- present their choices to you, sort of like at the, uh, at the uh, TSA checkpoint. They claim that you're opting out of the scan. And you're opting to get groped. Well, you are the one who are, is imposing on me two false choices. They're not choices. Like, do you want to get stabbed or shot? I, I don't know. Where are you going to shoot me? Uh, it's it's not my preference either way. I'd rather avoid that. So, um, And that, of course, brings us to some other information, how the federal government, and it has it has been revealed that the federal government has been tracking people. Reclaim the Net has a piece on this one. They were tracking the unvaccinated. Uh, Laura Ingram did a piece on this, and good for her. Oh, by the way, somebody tried to set me up on a date with Laura way back, one of her producers. That was interesting. Uh, never happened, but um, yeah. So um, Centers for Disease Control, folks, they have been revealed to have by the national file actually highlighted this, but Reclaim the Net mentions tracking of the unvaccinated. And uh, Christine Moss writes, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, quietly introduced a new program to track people who have not been so-called vaccinated against COVID-19 after they visit a doctor or go to a hospital. Gee, I wonder if maybe we could be more like Australia. That would be great according to documents and a video highlighted by National File, but published back in 2021, actually published by the government agency. In September of 2021, the ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee held a meeting to discuss new ICD-10 codes that the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics, NCHS, wanted to, to be created for marking people as partially vaccinated for COVID-19, Calabunga 19. And they've got the video. And if you feel like uh, bringing that up, Tony, no problem. I can play it over here. But if people want to, this actually has been recorded by the CDC. It is the voice of tyranny. And, And, you know, one of the other things to bring up, Tony, is that when people look at these institutional moves, they're not questioning the institution. These moves were always possible. And I I often mention going back to HIPAA, 1996, when they passed HIPAA, and I've mentioned this many times, so I hope people don't get tired of it. If you go to the PDF of HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, pages 75 to 94 of the PDF, and luckily over at MRCTV, they called it up. We put it in some videos. People can see it on video in any of the videos I've done that involve HIPAA. But I've been warning people, the, the year that passed, thanks to so-called 
conservative Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy working with Ted Kennedy, his pal, when Kennedy wasn't swimming out of Chappaquiddick Bay away from drowning women. You know, um, he was swimming a lot and other things, too. But, you know, I mean, he's dead. You don't want to speak ill. No, I will speak ill of Ted Kennedy. I think he was a pretty ugly, ugly person. Uh, but anyway, I should forgive him. But he anyway, called, um, he called uh, the hotel to complain about the noise next door, the hotel room after he swam out and got back to the room. You got to be kidding me. No, no. He, he called to, to complain about the noise next door because he had to get some rest. It was the next morning that he announced uh, and called everybody. Do you, do you think he was doing that almost like an alibi or something? Like he thought maybe if he did that, they'd think he'd been in the room for longer. I, who knows? I mean, it's, 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 I, don't, I don't think he was thinking that way. I think he was just, yeah, yeah. Of, that's, that's his personality came out that way. You know, something else I was thinking of while you were talking, I was yeah. on the Jack Allen show yesterday. We were talking about the Spanish American war. Yeah. That was a great show. That was you awesome. Watch that and just me and Jack talking, you know, and, and uh, I was thinking about that and there was a, there's a little known factoid about how this is before the income tax. So they decided they would throw a tax on the, what they call a telephone tax or a telegraph tax. Anyway, it was, it was thrown onto, I believe was it, was it AT&T at the time or one of the majors, you know, and it, the, the only major, I mean, cause that's the, that's what we were talking about with the, the, when there's no decentralization, the government works with corporations to carry out policy. They left that tax in place until the 1990s. Yeah. Oh, I remember it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't know when it started, but my mom is you know my mom was fairly old when I when when she gave gave birth to me, and um, I had a, I had a multi year gestation period, but uh, <laughs> ah, you know it took me a long time to grow in the womb. It was like ten years, but anyway, um, yeah, so she was fairly old when she gave birth to me, and so uh, she and my dad came from. My dad was born in nineteen seventeen, and mom was born in nineteen twenty three. So they they had a lot of memories of these things being instituted one after the other after the other. And she used to tell me, she's like, she would show me the phone bill. So like, look at that, look at that. And of course, they then turned it into the connectivity charge for cable and internet. And uh, that's all part of, uh, you have that on, you also have that on your cell phone bill now, thanks to Al Gore. Uh, he really pushed for that. So yeah, uh, and it's amazing too, because these, these sorts of things that they impose uh, when you see people starting to speak out about them, they'll be like, oh, that's a bad policy. I don't like that policy. It's like, look, the fact that they have done it, it doesn't matter what the amount is. The fact that they have done it ought to tell you, tell you something. And the fact that they have imposed Section 230, the fact that they have done this with the CDC, that's all you need to know. And again, you know, I, I, I felt, I really did feel like Cassandra back in the 90s. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I brought up HIPAA and I said, look, this is what's going to happen inside HIPAA. You can look it up, start on page 75, read to 90, page 94. It allows the Secretary of Health and Human Services to assign a unique medical identifier code to every person who visits any doctor that's affiliated with the federal government. And from that point on, at any time, it is in there. At any time, the department, uh, that department and other departments of the federal government can call up the medical information of anybody without a warrant. And as I said, I used to mention this because left wing people were appropriately upset that the Bush W W Bush administration was getting people's Verizon phone records. They said, how dare he? You know, he's a Republican and he's getting a, that information. 
He's doing it driving while Republican. We can't have that. But let's get somebody else like Barack Obama in there so that in 2014 they can collect our medical data. Oh, that's awesome. I'm liking that. That's great. It's like I often say in Repo Man, you know, he comes back to visit his hippie parents. They're staring at the television, smoking a joint. And this poor kid, this poor punk kid's got no future. He's just wandering around. He opens up the refrigerator. There's a can of like old, just says food. It's like half open. He starts eating it cold with a spoon. That's his dinner because the family can't make dinner. You know, they can't be bothered. They're too busy getting getting stoned. And he's like, you go. And, and his mom says, put it on a plate. The kid's name is Otto. She says, put it on a plate, Otto. You'll enjoy it more. And he's like, Mm-mm-mm. Couldn't get any better than this, Mom. This is swell. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about government. Oh, well, the road to hell is paved with partisanship, I believe, if you want ah, yeah. to go that way. Well, we're coming up on the end of the first hour, and I see that uh, the great Billy Ray Valentine is waiting in the wings. We're going to add him here in just a second. What I want to tell Gart, so I never, you know, again, this is uh, – we last minute we put the show together and i appreciate everybody tuning in and thanks so much to the knight family it's always an honor i love uh, being able to fill in i hope this gives david uh, a little bit of well-deserved rest he carries a big this is a massive load the man carries on his shoulders every day bringing you the news and analysis without any bias and with his his engineer mind and his intellect we need him and so i'm happy to support him with uh with with wise wolf and we set up david gold but i wanted to tell guard something my first radio program was in Dallas on 570 KLIF. It's one of the oldest radio stations there in Dallas. It was on, a, I think it's still Cumulus. Um, but I was the black sheep. They just really didn't know what to make of me. They thought that when they signed me, that uh, when I got my hour every week, that I was kind of a you know cookie cutter conservative talk guy. And then I started opposing war and opposing you know a, a expansion of government and, and talking about bringing the jobs back. And they didn't know what to make of me. And I was running for Congress at the time against uh, uh, Ralph Hall, and uh, and I didn't want to run against him. I'd known him since I was a kid, uh, but I, he was 90. I thought he was leaving. It was his last term. Anyway, we got to the end of the race. He got to a runoff, and uh, he called me up and asked me to come help him, and, and uh, he trusted me. So I got to have the only interview with him in studio, and he came to the, the KLIF studios and sat in studio with me, and uh, we went and did an hour. He came all prepared. He had this giant stack of notes, and the guy was really sharp. I mean, he's 90 and almost 91 at the time, but super, super sharp. And uh, I just remember, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told him. Uh, we got the, the, the clock stopped, and I go, sir, you make radio easy. I didn't have to do much anything. I mean, it's, I just I, all I did was do the intro, and I did the outro. That's pretty much it, and uh, Ralph Hall carried it. That's what the great Gar Goldsmith just did. <laughs> I see uh, Billy Ray Valentine is here along with Donald Jeffries. Let's just add, let's add both of these gentlemen right here. Uh, unafraid, <laughs> unintimidated, unjabbed, ladies and gentlemen. This is the uh, the entire crew of America Unplugged here uh, hosting the David, along with the honorary uh, co-host, which is Gar Goldsmith. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Hey, good to be here. What's going on? How's everybody doing? Every, everybody's great. We're we're streaming live. I've had no hiccups, at least not that I know of. Uh, seems like we're going out on. I, I believe we're going out on Rumble. Uh, I'm not able to pull that up right here on this side of the of the show, but it looks like we're able to get that out as well. So um, we Garden, I did no commercials. He literally just uh, carried an hour of radio with <laughs> with great analysis. We went like we just machine gunning through headlines. I, 
I've never seen anything quite like it, Billy. And I've been in radio <laughs> a while, so it's good, it's good to have guard here. Uh, what's uh, what's on your radar, uh, BRV? Well, absolutely nothing. I was uh, uh, listening to a little bit of of you guys while uh, while I was waiting, and you guys were talking about um, how in Australia, you know, that they're, they're consolidating everything into this one ID, right? And and that happened here in New York a long time ago, right? Oh. So, so we have uh, we we have everything here. I haven't gotten right because. Uh, I've been walking around with an expired ID for about eight years. Okay. Like I, I haven't renewed it. I do have my passport, which is still good. But when I ever have to go back to renew, um, it's, it's literally going to be like, Hey, we're going to put everything, your passport, everything into this one card. And of course we don't have, uh, uh, you know, money attached to it yet, but it's only a matter of time. This is what Apple Pay was designed to do. Ease us into this, right? And even if it wasn't meant in a nefarious manner, it is in all actuality doing that. It is easing everybody into it. And it's generational, like I spoke about before, I think last time I came on, it, uh, our kids and our kids' kids, they're going to be, you know, fully in on this. They're not going to know a difference. Like, well, what is that? I got it's on my phone. I'll just pay for it on my phone and keep on moving because everybody, most of the people here in New York do it. Uh, so many stores are cashless at this point. And, and this is how they're going to push people into it because so many stores are going cashless and, and they're blaming the environment for it. Right. Or, or they're citing the environment. We need to go cashless because it's better for the environment or we need to go cashless because there's less contact points between you and I. And then, you know, we won't spread whatever virus is, is around or COVID or whatever. This is what they're saying. And it's I view it as an inevitability, especially in big cities. It's 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 inevitable, in my opinion, that this is going to be the the majority of, of the way uh, transactions are made of, of, of the way life is carried out. Of course, there are going to be those who separate themselves, but that's not easy to do. And if you want to do that, you should start now, right now, you know, because uh, it, it's not looking good. Right. So here in New York, I mean, I have to go I have to go update my picture. I think I was like freaking 25 when I had that picture, or whatever, you know, um, and, and it's totally expired. So let's see what I encounter when I get there and what my options are. But they already have this this your passport, your everything goes on this card and and. and that's it. You, you. That's the way people are going to operate moving forward. So, uh, on, I, I'm not very optimistic about about pushing back on this fully. I think we need to. Um, I think some of us will be successful at, at at not including ourselves into this process. But society wise, I think a lot of people are going to want it, seek it out, and look at the convenience of it. It's again sacrificing convenience, you know, or liberty liberty for convenience, right? So. They'll see the convenience of it. And eventually, you know, it, it'll probably just like cease being a physical card, right? They'll, they'll, I don't know, your fingerprint will do everything, you yeah. know, or, or they'll put something in you. And I know we've been talking about that in the alternative media for some time, but it's a reality now that we need to really look at and, and, and discuss openly, honestly, and truthfully and, and, and start really evaluating our options and saying, okay, this looks like it's coming. What are we going to do? That's your digital slavery starter pack. Right. Just get signed up now. Collect them all. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, what the Nigerians have done. 
when they tried to they were you know they were using bitcoin and it was it was functional and all around the country it was something they adopted early and uh so the central banksters came in like oh we'll try the experiment we'll give them the, the cbdc they're gonna love if you like bitcoin then you'll love this fiat garbage <laughs> and they didn't like it and now in nigeria a bitcoin because it's so sought after and used and traded it's it was like 30 the, the, i think like a week ago they put an article in zero hedge thirty six thousand dollars for one Bitcoin, while Bitcoin's trading at twenty two, twenty three right now on the open uh, spot market. So, I, you know, I, again, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a camp. It depends on how I feel when I wake up in the morning. I, you know, the, the central planners and and the the Davos crowd and the 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 you know um, depopulation enthusiasts, uh, they have a lot of fake money, but they're not really that smart. I mean, I'm not really going. I'm not going to give them a lot of credit. When you have a fake printing press and you have, uh, you know, access to the levers of power, that doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you, you, know, you were, you're, uh, uh, you're there. That's pretty much it, and you have that access. But uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not completely sold that they're going to be successful as long as we get this information out and get people, uh, give them the information, get them educated, let them make a choice, and then look at uh, the options of decentralization. What can it do? I mean, that's there's a. It's a lot more attractive than than a one a one size fits all uh, tyranny state. Uh, Don Jeffries, welcome to the David Knight Show. I pulled up one of your articles <laughs> as well. We can your latest uh, bullies, transgenders, and popular clicks. If you wanted to talk about that from DonaldJeffries.media, but I wanted to make sure, sure I, I welcomed you to the show, sir. How are you? Fine. Thanks for having me here. <clears throat> good to be in such a good company. Yeah, and, and what Billy Ray was talking about is uh, very similar. To what you know, this goes back to probably the 1970s and none dare call a conspiracy by Gary Allen. Uh, Right-wingers used to warn of this national ID card. And it sounds like very much that's the direction that uh, <clears throat> this is headed. They want to consolidate everything. And they, and then, of course, you would go beyond that, of course, to the microchipping and the mark of the beast and all that. But it's uh, we're definitely trending towards that uh, unfortunate direction. I agree with you on that. And uh, that's the, it's the battle of our lifetime. It's uh... I mean, I, I can't believe I'm sometimes I just think about what I do and, and having the opportunity to speak with uh, great minds like like yours. Matter of fact, I want to veer off for a second. Michael Pomeroy in the Rockfin chat says it takes four people to fill in for David. <laughs> and I, I started laughing because I, I, I said something similar, I think, last time while we were all on air, kind of that JFK reference mm -hmm. to when all the Nobel laureates were at the, at the White House, at the dining area. And he says this is the most uh, collection of uh, brain power seen in this room since Thomas Jefferson dined alone. Well, that's kind of the, that's where we are on day. In, in, in the last time, the only time that it's had more brain power is when uh, David Knight hosted alone yesterday. And he'll be back, ladies and gents. We're just fill, oh, yeah. we're just filling in, keeping. I wanted to, get, you know, it's nice to have a fresh show and not a reboot and uh and again we can promote and and drop commercials and you guys can tip all this goes to david so if you know i know i know i'm not david and none of these guys are either but uh, we're definitely support him um guard did you have anything you wanted to add on that uh yeah you know i just uh i just wanted to mention uh abs to paraphrase the, that co ancient caller from rush limbaugh dittos to what you just said <laughs> little uh, little reference to the to the, the lost Rush Limbaugh. I just yeah, I disagree with him on uh, many things, but agree with him on others. So, uh, yeah, you know, back in October, uh, I had the opportunity to write a piece for MRC TV about how the uh, Federal Reserve was announcing a pilot program for major U.S. banks to manage what they called climate-related financial risks. And that is similar to the terminology that this uh, international organization does for uh, stores where they started to apply a sales code for gun shop purchases. 
And the um, one of the major officials in New York City was very delighted because he had worked very hard about that. And he actually threatened is the comptroller. The comptroller of New York City had threatened the major credit card companies that if they didn't adopt these codes, it was it was sort of a it was sort of a pronged effort. If they didn't adopt these codes, he would start to change the management of the retirement plans for the city workers to make sure that their investments were pulled out of these credit card banks. And so these credit card companies adopted the codes for gun shop sales. This guy, the uh, uh, comptroller for New York City, says this is really going to help law enforcement. Now, he didn't have to make the connections there. Just by saying it, you know that the government has wanted this and they will find ways to get this private data about gun shop sales. It doesn't specify any different differential between a different code for a gun or ammunition or whatever, but they're working towards that. And this Federal Reserve ESG financial related risk to climate from October is a similar thing. Um, the Federal Reserve Board then announced, as they say, that six of the nation's largest banks will participate in a pilot climate scenario analysis exercise designed to enhance the ability of supervisors and firms to measure and manage climate-related financial risks. And there's a term right there. It's an assumptive term. What do they mean by climate-related financial risks? Well, they'll tell you what those are, and you will have to accept them. And then they will have the codes, and then you will have the digital ID, and they will manage CBDC, and they will say, sorry, but you know, you getting that little uh, C-do, that's verboten. Going on that trip to Italy, ah, you've exceeded your quotient of carbon credits this year. So they will say, it's too much risk. We just can't allow your corporation to do this or, or X or Y. You know, um, so they are trying in every way possible, going back to the Gutierrez thing we played last hour, they're trying in every way possible, financial, communications, all of this is this giant fascistic thing that is trying to lock people like Billy Ray into being unable to move unless he conforms to what they want. Well, it's another reason they push for the cities and the consolidation of people, you know, that, that they want to want us off the rural lands. You know, David talks about that, the Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, just reshaping things, the mega cities, the smart cities, the sidewalk labs, all that. It's again to consolidate and push you into a control grid. And yeah. that's why decentralization, again, it's the. You know, people are starting. I, I homestead. Uh, really, it really is Melissa that homesteads. Uh, my wife Melissa, she's the one that really pushes that and 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 builds it. I I just go to work and come to to, to the shop and sell gold and silver and do broadcasts. That's most of my thing. But um, I think that's a big movement going on, and people are doing that, just trying to get away from this because they can see it. People can see it coming. I think it's even just in the the national consciousness. We we, we can see that it's coming, and uh, they're pushing it. And of course, they do tell you. Uh, but they do it in a way like Gutierrez, you're talking about the, uh, the the banality of evil we talked about in the first hour. It's sometimes boring, you know, like you you expect someone to come out. I mean, that we have the Klaus Schwabian figures, these these Bond villain types. We do have those, you know, then they roll those people out. But a lot of times it's just this, you know, and the, the crazy things that were said over the last few years, guarded by some of the elites and the WHO and surrounding entities. It, it's amazing they keep getting away with it, but it's the way they deliver it. And people just don't notice, you know, like when, uh, when, remember when Omicron, Spectres. what, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I, I just think there are so many vectors. They throw so many darts and you can't, people just can't, they can't even know about all of them. You know, luckily, this is where the decentralization of communications. I, I spend so much time in my day going to so many different sites now. You know, there's so many different sub stacks. There's so many different websites. You've got so many good people, so many different shows that people are putting on. But I try to absorb everything I can because there's information that I don't want to miss that could affect my neighbor. And it's it's amazing. Um, I, I don't look at it as a negative, but it it definitely has changed the way I've had to live. Well, did you guys know that uh, Biden, uh, he said that uh, they he has uh, uh, most of his women in his cabinet are women. Did you know that? <laughs> that was mind blowing to me. I, I never I never was able to put that together. You know, like how, how half of the women in his cabinet are actually women. I've, well, I mean, what's the Freudian slip there? I mean, there's something in his his adult brain, his globalist mind, you know, and uh, or, or, his, or maybe it's his clone. I don't know. But he's, he's rotating that through and somehow it spits out that. And I, I wonder what that really means. And now he's got the State of the Union uh, tonight, which, you know, I was uh texting back and forth with a really good friend last night. And I said, you know that um, we could have avoided this had it not been for Woodrow Wilson, because Thomas Jefferson, the third president, uh, he said, I don't want to go and do a, 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 you know, a state of the union delivery. So he put it in writing. And after that, uh, everybody followed his example for all those years until Woodrow Wilson Okay. And again, it's the guy, he brought us the state of the union back. So now we have to deal with all of this. It, it could have still been in writing, ladies and gentlemen, had it not been for Woodrow Wilson, because Thomas Jefferson didn't like to give public speeches. He was a writer. And uh, anyway, Woodrow Wilson, the PhD president who brought you the Federal Reserve and uh, the 17th Amendment and the income tax and the war to make the world safe for Hitler and Stalin. Uh, he also brought you the State of the Union. So if you're if you're um, in any way angered or annoyed tonight, you can thank Woodrow. What well, you I'm going to tune in for sure. I, I can't wait to see this. Like really, it's my Super Bowl. So I'm I'm, I'm going to be happy to, to tune in to watch this. Man, let me tell you. Hey, do you think they could get Sam Smith to dress up as the devil for it? Brought to you by Pfizer. What? What went on there? Like I mean, and and I've I've divorced myself from most popular music you know for call me old i don't i don't care right i, I just cannot relate so i don't watch the i used to watch the grammys religiously i don't watch anymore and the next morning i mean my phone had blown up all the, the social media was crazy all i see is this dude sam smith dressed up all in red flashing illuminati all over the place right so if 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 you don't want people to throw conspiracy theories at you left and right, stop giving them ammunition to throw conspiracy <laughs> theories at you left right. and right. Like, good Lord, what's going on here? So I have to watch this footage. I, I still haven't watched. Isaac Whitehop hit me up a couple of times, and he's doing a few shows on it. Go check that out. Um, and uh, I'm going to watch for myself because it's supposed to be nuts what went down. So. Well, they, don't even, they don't even hide it anymore. I mean, wow. it's, it's, it's so it, it used to be a little more subtle than that. But it was uh, from what I saw, of it, it was almost like a, a black mass with music. I mean, they're 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 <laughs> celebrating who they worship. And if you look at this is we've talked about this giant freak show element. You know, these award shows, especially if you tune in and you, you look for the female celebrities, they used to look good. And, or at least attempt to look good. And uh, the fashions were, you know, usually provocative, but they were, they weren't 
you know, it's like something from outer space. Now, now it's some I mean, you had the, I don't know who the, the, I think it's a woman. What's the, the, the huge obese black with the, the one name. I don't know what the hell her name is, or oh, his Lizzo? name. Lizzo. 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 I don't know. Is that, is that a biological woman? I don't even know, but she was uh, parading around in a thong, you know, like, you know, why couldn't you know, Susanna Hoff of the Bengals come out in a thong or something like that? I mean, <laughs> what, 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 what do you have people that nobody wants to see in a thong? And, it's it's a celebration of ugliness, it's a celebration of obesity, a celebration of Satan. Uh, no celebration of music. I don't is rock and roll even represented there at these things anymore? I don't I mean they give the white people ridiculous country music with the Travis Tritt types, you know, but like they give us NASCAR. But I mean it's like nobody, you know, nobody's really I don't think most people are that connoisseurs of music are interested in that, but the rest of it is just I don't even know what it is. And now Beyonce has won more Grammys than anybody in history. Really? She's the greatest <laughs> musical artist in the history. I mean, this is a, a, just a travesty. But anybody that I did, I just my friend Bob Wilson was watching it for some unknown reason. I said, why are you putting yourself through that? But uh, and I saw Mark Dice, you know, covering it. But if you want to know where we are, you just turn on these award ceremonies and it's a giant freak show. There's profanity there's not even any attempt at uh, decorum or uh, even organization it's just it's just a bunch of people walking out in their pajamas or you know these ridiculous fashions that look like somebody was on lsd when they made them i, I don't and it's the celebration of obesity and ugliness is everywhere so it's 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 fitting it's america 2.0 on display I can't, uh, I don't know who's who anymore. Like I, I, I'm not that old, but I don't know anything in entertainment. I don't know about sports. All I know is that uh, I saw the, there's, there's Satan worship and Madonna looks like the, uh, the dumb. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, she, she yes. whatever the, the goat horn hair and her, I mean, I'm just like, what, what is, what fresh hell is this? I, I really don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's disturbing. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, we're in this realm of I'm a, I'm a proud conspiracy analyst. What how much of this is manufactured? Is it yeah, it's know, all manufactured? 80%? Everything. It's all manufactured. And, and, and like none of these. Well, I, I can't say any of these, but the majority of these artists have no idea what's going on. They tell them to put these things on. They, they You think Sam Smith? came up with this in his mind no somebody you know somebody sat him down and here's what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna carry out an entire satanic ritual on stage it won't really be a ritual you know it's not a ritual i know it's not a ritual ritual but everybody else will think it is and we're gonna sit down and do this like this is what they do lizzo might be authentic she's back she, she's gone you know so so that's all that that's all her probably but I mean, it's all created. This is what music has become. This is why you and I, I, I want to think that you and I were part of the greatest era of that, you know, of music period. Like the, the, the 90s was the best uh, when it came to, to rock and roll, to hip hop. I don't know about, I don't know too much about country. Everybody else that listens to country out there, you guys are the last. Uh, a beacon of real music that uses instruments and that's being taken over now it, it's being commercialized it's country pop now um and, and i still love some hip-hop right but but i understand it's not you know instrument driven even though it is sometimes like there, there's there's a a black and uh, there's a middle ground there or whatever but we were part of of the last great musical era it's all been downhill after 2000 right and and like Don said, the Grammys reflect that. 
Like, where's the rock and roll, right? I know Ozzy Osbourne won a couple of uh, of, of Grammys or, or maybe one. But, I mean, there's no new acts there that, that, that are really, like, you know, prominent. Maybe Imagine Dragons, and that's a, a blend. It's a mix of... Uh, of pop and, and, and rock music. Um, but it's all created. All these artists, like Beyonce, let's take Beyonce for instance. She can really sing, right? And she can't, she can dance. But she's not a musical act. She sings and she dances. It's like it's like a dance act. This is what a lot of the Grammys has become. It's just dancing and and putting together pageantry. That's it. It's not really music. There's music behind it. But that's it. So that, that that's where we've we've gotten. All of this is is fabricated to the point. I mean, including all the Illuminati references. It's 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 gone mainstream. They recognize this. They know it's going to cause controversy, and they throw it all in there. Is it really uh, Satan worship? Maybe. I I don't know. With with Madonna, you really have to start thinking. Maybe maybe it's really Satan worship. How many times is she doing this? You know. Um, but, uh, all this other stuff, I don't know. I have to go watch Sam Smith. I think I'm going to do that after we get off because it's, it's supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread uh, as far as a visual spectacle. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Don't eat, don't eat beforehand though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Where does it, where does this go gentlemen? I know we'll maybe do a little round table on this and then we'll check some headlines. I mean, where does you see the erosion of the culture. It's imploding. We've known this for years. It's only getting worse. Is there a point where it reaches a bottom and then we start to see a pushback from society? They just abandon this. I mean, how long are they going to be able to continue down this road of no talent, no spirit, no, nothing new, just degrading, uh, you know, it, what's so-called entertainment. And I, I don't know, I don't, can they, can they continue this? Will it, will it end? And will there be a renaissance of, culture or are we just uh in that period of time where it's going to zero can can i jump in real quick yeah go ahead um i i am again not very optimistic about where this is going right um ai is coming up with music now i think at, at a point we are going to see and my kids learn piano they're pretty good you know if 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 they were um if they were super committed they'd be really really good like like freaking Lincoln Center level. They're really good. They're just not committed to it. So they play whenever they play. But I make sure that that at least they have that. I think we're going to come to a point where people that play piano is going to be like a novelty. It's going to be like a rarity. You know, it's like, oh, my God, that guy's playing that thing. That's pretty cool. Let's let's sit and look at it. Because in all actuality, we don't have to do it anymore. I can I can bring up uh, uh, one of these music lo logic. I can bring up a logic program and start screwing with it and eventually I'll, I'll have keyboards you know there are keyboards there you just screw with it and it, and it happens um so it's going to become easier and easier to make music not good music but you can make music i think instruments are going to fade out and be a thing of the past uh some people are still keeping my hope alive there's a there's a couple of people on instagram that 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 still do guitar and young kids you know that 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 have bands which is dope you know i think it's very important to to keep that right but um largely i think we have a problem you know conductor we have a problem like a big one you know and um and we this is the way to, to combat it is try to get your kids if you have kids to play instruments go play go, you know even if they don't want to like give them you know i don't know a, a 30 minute guitar session once a week learn guitar learn the piano 
you know, learn how to play a saxophone, you know, or something, you know, and, and uh, to keep it alive because it's, I think it's fading. Unfortunately, you can see it, yeah. you can see the symptoms of it at the Grammy awards. See how many people come out and play an instrument when they're performing. <laughs> see yeah. it. They don't, you know, even hip hop. And I love watching it going to hip hop shows, but I've been to so many shows. I know guard has been to a ton of shows. I've seen almost every band in the nineties that, that there is to see and some in the 2000s, and I'm a big fan of hip-hop. You can't compare the two as a live, in a live setting. You know, maybe DMX. I, I saw DMX once, and it was incredible. Him by, But he had so much charisma, you know, so much energy. Um, but hip-hop is just people on stage talking to you with, with a beat behind it. But that's what the yeah. kids find amusing now. Go check, go check a hip-hop show nowadays. People are moshing like, like there's a band behind them, but there's nothing. It's just a guy. And music. So that's where we're headed, in my opinion. I know the philosopher Nietzsche said that without music, life would be a mistake. Um, but I'm still waiting for Bill Gates to start depopulation records. I think he's got everything else. He's got the media. He's got farmland. He's, he's got, he does a really good job with vaccine. Maybe it's mm -hmm. depopulation records is the next thing. Donald Jeffries, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it certainly – I've, I've made my comments about music, but, it's, again, this is a culture at large. We don't have – we're basically an anti-culture at this point. We've created – there's a ghettoization of it. We've taken a lot of the worst elements from the inner cities – uh, and, and, you know, celebrated it, including language. You know, we basically have an abonics culture at this point where everybody's just purposely dumbing themselves down. You look at Hollywood. Hollywood is an absolute joke. Look at the show Velma that's out there. Not oh. people watching it. And, and again, I wasn't a huge Scooby-Doo fan, but uh, it's not like it was, you know, arts or something, but uh, they, they're purposely, uh, again, trying to provoke people. It has like the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb that's ever been recorded. If you go to YouTube, they have people dissecting it every day and talking about how it's the worst thing ever. And HBO Max is committed to it or HBO, whatever. No, no, we're bringing it back for another season. They want to stick people's face in it. I guess people that love Scooby-Doo, it's just because Scooby-Doo isn't on the show, just to let you know. That's <laughs> Scooby-Doo, but he's not on the show. So it's that's the kind of thing where we have it's all about an agenda. They're not trying to create anything. And I know from my world, there is no the last great novelist was Kurt Vonnegut. There's no literature out there. No, nobody. And I know I, you know, I was able to get one novel published, but if, even if you could get literary fiction public, you know, real fiction, the kind that, we, that people that like to read still celebrate, you know, Dickens, Dostoevsky, you know, think Orwell, uh, you can't get it published now because people won't read it. People don't have the mind because they've been dumbed down so much. And that's that's this culture at large music films where there's nothing I, I don't know if you watch any movie that's been out in the last couple of years first of all you have to go through the incredible woke agenda which is like you're hitting you over the head with it non-stop it's not like it's subtle or anything but they can't write and as a writer i'm watching it, it's like they can't resolve anything almost every time i'm the the premise they have an intriguing premise and it draws me in and then it, usually it just ends or it ends and I don't know what the hell happened. I have to go online and look for spoilers to try. I don't understand. What was that? And that's the way it is. They, they And they don't even try. They're, they actually celebrate it into. It's like, you know, look at something like The Simpsons. And it goes back a ways. But The Simpsons was great for like seven, eight years. And it's been horrible now for, you know, almost you know 25 years or whatever. And they celebrate it. If you look at what these, these uh, they created that comic book guy is that was represented their fans saying worst episode ever because they said it for years and they didn't care. 
They do it on purpose. So at this point, they're not trying to create any, I don't know what they're doing it for. Ratings don't matter. Jesse Ventura's conspiracy show was the highest rated show True TV ever had. Doesn't matter. Canceled. Something like Velma is the lowest rated show anybody's ever seen. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Bring it back. It's bad an agenda. Uh, and this is celebrating everything you see now. Art is supposed to be about beauty, uplifting stuff. I don't even mention art. There are, I don't know what artists they have. I, I know one in my neighborhood. He can't, you know, can't get anything because he actually knows how to paint. Uh, that's, you know, he had to be Jackson Pollock, you know, and throwing paint on a canvas and killing a roach in the middle of it, and leaving it there and having it be celebrated and put in museums. That's what we, and we know the CIA finance, by, by the way. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out the CIA finance some of these really awful writers, you know, to try to promote them and uh, some of these awful filmmakers as well. And some of these awful musical artists, because it's the same premise, right? They're destroying all, all of that together collectively makes up a culture. And then you have the discourse, the, uh, the text, the textualization of whatever of, of, uh, of language where it's, you know, you, the letter U or R, the letter R, you know, that kind of thing, short, basically shorthand. Yeah. People know that's the young people know how to communicate like that. It's got pidgin English. You combine that with Ebonics, the two together, and just they've dumbed down the society so much. So they probably couldn't appreciate Shakespeare or something. I don't think they're intellectually capable. We know that they're losing, what, five uh, IQ points on average for every generation or something like that. So at this point, this may be all they, they've created a culture that the public can handle, the public we have now can handle. But it's, it's very sad because it's a reflection of where we are as a society. I mean, it's just basically a Lord of the Flies thing. I mean, like something like that Grammy Award show, it's like it's like a bunch of kids, you know, that are they're all troubled and at a special school, you know, for, for problem students decided, okay, we're gonna put on a show. It's not like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, you know, they're gonna pick, put on a show and and that's what you would get. Troubled kids that, you know, and there's no adult around to say, you know, this is, I think this is gonna be offensive to have an actual satanic ritual. And you know, I think this, you know, we're having a few too many transgenders. Can we have a few heterosexuals on here? I mean, I, I did at least one, maybe, you know, and so that, but they don't care. That's, it's, it's all about an agenda, but uh, it's America 2.0. Yeah. I, I agree with Don Jeffries. Uh, Guard Goldsmith, closing thoughts. Well, you know, uh, during my little stint at uh, Star Trek Voyager, one of the, to, to uh, sort of touch on what Don brought up and what Billy Ray brought up, and uh, it's interesting because they one of the problems that I saw with certain stories, the ones that were the weaker stories, was that they would fit a pattern. And at the, the pattern was that everything would lead up to some seemingly irresolvable problem that the Voyager crew would encounter. And then in the end, there'd be an easy out rather than, you know, something that was in the plot beforehand. Uh, they would do the Agatha Christie and reveal something that you didn't know about. And typically what it would be would be they would the writer would put in parentheses tech. And the answer would be the would be to go to the science advisor for the show and get him to come up with some seemingly tech sounding name of something. And then they would insert that in the end. And that would provide them the way to escape, the way to get out. If you look at the very first episode of Star Trek Enterprise, or it might have been the first episode, uh, they use teleportation for the first time. They don't actually resolve the story. It's to present teleportation. That's how they get out of it. So 
what I, it, it's sort of analogous to what we're seeing now. People are using tech that tech parentheses, just insert whatever, go to the science guy, get a tech sounding name and put it in. And that'll be the answer for our story. And I won't have to work. I won't have to figure this out. And those were the worst stories because they didn't have any real, real danger. They didn't have any real plot or whatever. And when you repeatedly do that, there's, there, there isn't any danger. You know, life is dangerous. We, we encounter problems and it's part of the human existence and part of our satisfaction to work these things out. So like Billy Ray talking about the music. Yeah, it's been downhill ever since the 90s. Don talking about similar things. We don't see, I think there's always been a portion of the population that is not going to be interested in playing music. They're going to use music as wallpaper. They're going to listen to a, a you know, a pre-programmed beat. And, you know, the, I, I, I was listening to you, Billy Ray, talking about the change in hip hop. I think one of the, one of the few that has emerged as actually being of that new style that sort of mocks the new style, even while they're being very witty is Sleaford Mods, the guys from England, those two dudes. One dude just stands there with a beer and he hits the beat with a little background thing and he stands there bopping in the background while this other guy gives ingenious rhythmic poetry. Just awesome. amazing stuff. Send me a link. Um, what's that? Send me a link when you can. Oh, you got it. You got it. Absolutely. I think one of their best ones. Uh, well, anyway, yeah. So um, there will still be these exceptions to the rule. You know, every kind of new development will see something ingenious but the vast majority of it is going to be dross Agreed. it's because most people just they're, they're focused on other things what bothers me is so i i think there's always going to be room for inventiveness and there'll always be niches but i think those niches are getting smaller and that's what bothers me i think there are a lot of people and i'm one of them uh there are a lot of people who could have over even our generation now, or, you know, we, we sort of represent one generation or a generation and a half sort of, right. you know, multiple years here, but, right, right. um, you know, I didn't learn an instrument, but I can get like whole symphonic compositions in my head. Like all it happens all the time. And I can't, I can't get it out because I don't know how to read music. And part of the reason I didn't know how to read music was because I would ask my teachers why things were on the scale and they couldn't answer that for me. So there's been a generational decline in some cases, especially with public schooling and this whole idea of getting kids acclimatized to their being social that starts to suppress the outliers and doesn't raise up the people who really achieve because Raising up the people who really achieve is actually, according to the postmodernist Marxist, cultural Marxist way, is actually hurting the people who might not be achieving. And that allows everybody to be lazy and just listen to the pre-programmed dross. Why bother? You know? Agreed on that, brother. And I oh. know that uh, you and you are an artist. I mean, with your uh, novels and uh, writing for Star Trek and The Outer Limits and all the other publications you've been in. I mean, you you're expressing yourself through writing. And uh, again, I think that's what we're lacking here is just creativity and individuality. That's that's not a a core virtue anymore. That's taught to be bad. You're outside of the system. You need that's we're we're taught to get in line now. That's what they tell uh, the indoctrination centers and schools and kids. You know to wear your mask and stand apart and and, and do that forever. And and if you're outside of that, then you're you're bad, right? You're uh, 
uh, you're not to be uh, shown courtesy and all the rest. That's, that's what the society we're creating. Um, and again, I think the ultimate rebellion is to look for beauty and uh, yeah. to yourself and to be an and individual. Tony, if I could mention also, you mentioned that rebellion thing. That's one of the things that I think is really important is I think a lot of these cultural Marxists, they lever the tendency of teenagers to be rebellious and they start to steer it in the way that they want to want to steer it. They they corporatize it. They market it. And then they start to work with various groups to try to steer it the way that they want to steer it. And um, so if you look at things like punk rock, you know, punk started very early on. You got the MC5 Stooges up in Ann Arbor and Detroit. Just Dope. epic. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing stuff. They influenced people in New York and in England. You get the Sex Pistols. You get the Ramones over on the West Coast. A few years later, you get black, uh, not black. Yeah. Black flag starting around D.C., I should say. Um, and a lot of these a lot of these bands, they're angry because of the flat, stale environment that has just locked in music for so long. But then the corporations recognize that that anger, as John Lydon said, Johnny Rotten said, anger is an energy. So they can use that because they see this rebellion in the kids. And all that turns into is what you get in the Grammys. It's just one-upsmanship. How much darker can we get? Because once they recognize that that is marketable, they're going to they're going to market sex and anger because that appeals to teenagers. Well, and this goes back and I, I, I talked to Billy Accuracy about how they, they the media started. They created teenagers basically in the 1950s. You know, the first one was with the wild one, you know, with Mar rebel without a cause. You know, the sudden teenage angst, catcher in the rye, all these things that came out at the same time. So those teenagers, unlike, you know, I don't think there's any evidence, for instance, that depression era teenagers had this kind of eye rolling at their parents or this angst about they were upset about something. They were rebels without a cause. They created this and they they wanted it to be that way. And they, they have, you know how many uh, women had bad marriages? Because every single film taught them that, you know, the nice guy's boring. You don't want him. You want the guy in the motorcycle jacket over there with the greased back hair. You know, the bad boy. And this, it plays into bullies. And that message was resounded for years. And so they're still sending a message. But the message now is they are turning. I, I don't know what they're promoting. I think they're trying to kill off the sex drive. I really do. Because, you know, when you're having uh, the, the, the whatever, the, I keep forgetting her name, the one name wonder, uh, you know, walking around with, in a thong, <laughs> that can't be to try to stimulate anyone. Right, right. So that, that And that's the problem. They're celebrating ugliness. They're celebrating hideousness, hideous fashions, right. overweight everything they're trying they're selling something and i you know i wrote uh, in my most recent substack about how the premise has changed since i wrote bullyocracy i don't know that the jocks are the popular ones in high school anymore that may have been turned on its head it may be now that the transgenders whoever comes out transitioning is uh, the popular kids because i know that they'll i know you'll get in trouble if you bully a transgender now where in the past if you bullied a gay or something like that the, the school would cover up for the popular kid Always for the, that's what bullyocracy is about. Now I don't know. So it could be that uh, maybe the jocks are marginalized now. I really don't know. And and with the celebration of ugliness and obesity, I don't know who's prom queen anymore, or if it even is a queen. I, I don't. I, yeah, that may be wrong. Maybe it's you know non-binary person. I don't know. It's so things have changed. The messages they're sending out now is confusion, and uh, I think that's that they want to sell. But it fits in well with this 
anti-culture where uh, as uh, tony mentioned about the you know art arts about beauty this is celebrating ugliness in all its forms there's no beauty being celebrated look at art or whatever's out there everything it's either music that's not really music or you just sit there and say what the hell is that that's not any good art that you you know a, you know a preschooler could do that's being celebrated uh literature that's like chick lit mick fits disposable fast oh, food yeah. literature that oh, won't yeah. last five years and then of course uh films and television shows where again they're not, they're not going to last there's there's no alfred hitchcocks or frank cappers out there making work in the in the film world i i i agree with guard um when he says that it's niche right and and it's the doors are closing in right the walls are closing in on this uh you're you're gonna find um artists uh that are good you know, no matter what, in, in, in every era, you're going to find it, but it's just becoming less and less and less and less. Um, as far as, as Don's point uh, with, with the schools, right, and, and I'm seeing it with my kids. Um, the one thing that I will say that's come out of this um, that, that's good is that there's a lot more acceptance. It wasn't when I went to school or any of us. Um, you know, I, I was... Uh, semi-athletic you know um and and i and i had geek uh tendencies geek is a good thing now you know if 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 you're into comic books if you're into you know dungeons and dragons that's dope you know and, and everybody's cool with it you know they're like oh you're into that that's cool you're into this that's cool you know like my kids you know when 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 i was when i was in school i had to have name brand stuff on otherwise i'd get ridiculed relentlessly relentlessly um and we didn't have money you know so i i would wear uh, shoes or, or sneakers from payless and they would just oh my god it was the end of the world until i actually finally got some money and was able to buy stuff on my own largely in high school and then i, I went to catholic school and i had a uniform on which helped things you know um but my kids you know, and I still carry around that mentality because I think, you know, it's, it's high school. Like you, you can't go to school wearing that here, <laughs> wear this, you know, put this on. My kids have no idea. They don't care. They, they'll go to school wearing whatever the hell, no one makes fun of them, you know, and, and uh, my, my kids aren't particularly athletic, you know, um, uh, and they're just cool. You know, they're cool with the athletes and they're cool with, with those who aren't. So th that's pretty, that, that's a good thing. Like I'm not worried about my kids being bullied. Um, at least not in, in the schools that they're in at, at the moment, you know, and uh, so there's a lot more acceptance that's happened, which which I think it's welcomed, you know, even though, um, you know, I, I know I know people will have, you know, different different opinions on on all of that and 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 what that means. But uh, but that, I think that's a positive thing. If we're if we're going to map out the positives, I think that's a, a really positive thing that's gone on. Um and ultimately, it's 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 not the way it was when we were kids. And I felt like when when we were kids, it was very different. You know, it was like it was tough for for me anyway here in here in the Bronx, and and um and where I went to school in Manhattan, and it was still kind of tough. Like people, they they would beat you up for no reason. You know, I had to learn how to fight very quickly. You know, and and defend myself. My kids don't know anything about that, and I still live in the Bronx. You know, so that's how different it is, which is good. I, I think yeah. that's a good thing. And, and, and they're, they're accepting, accepting of LGBT, you know, it's, and, and that's normalizing, 
you know, um, the that sector of society. Because because when when we were kids, again, it wasn't a thing. You couldn't go around and say you were gay. That's that, not here. That that's a that was a problem. You know, you could not say that. You know, now now it's very accepting, and and what it's leading towards, unfortunately, it, it it's. I don't have a problem with the LGBT. I have gay friends that are, are are marvelous people, and I hate to have to preface it like that because when you do that, it's like, oh, you're only doing that to justify your next point, and I get this, right? But what's going on is it's it's uh, there. Sex is is now it's become casual to the point where it doesn't matter. And, and, and for men, very stereotypical what I'm about to say, but I think it's true. Right. Um, when, when men um, had multiple wives, I think, you know, it, it, it was for a reason, you know, a, a man can impregnate many women at once. A woman can only be pregnant one time for nine months. Um, so there's a difference there. Right. But, but, Sex is so cheapened now on both sides, on, on, on for men and for women, that it, it really doesn't, the connection isn't there anymore, you know? And, and I think what it'll lead to, it's just recreational. It's not about love. It's not about, it's just recreational. It's brave new world, you know? And, and we're, we're going to a point where I, I think they're going to try, and nobody's having kids anymore. That's another thing. Yes. Right? Everybody's having sex. Nobody's having kids, you know? Um, so that's exactly what that, the brave new world maps out. Kids are in a lab. You have to say, oh, I'd like to have sex with you at 4 p.m. Let's try that. And eventually, um, that'll be done. It'll be sexless like Don is talking about. You know? Yeah, well, and, and, and Bill, the, Bill the, 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 uh, you just look at that in my book on, on the pandemic is just about ready. I'll be turning in the publisher very soon, uh, uh, masking the truth. But uh, the, the, the birth rates have plunged all over the world. Yeah. I mean, you had, uh, I don't know how many states in the union that within the last couple of years reported for the first time in history, more deaths than births. I mean, this is revolutionary stuff that's going on. If you combine that with the transgender, the transgender agenda, which is all about stopping procreation, everything about it is turning girls into boys and boys into girls, making them all twisted and confused. But the bottom line is they're not going to be able to have biological kids. So you combine the, what the jab is doing to uh, death rates and what the transgender movement, you can see the eugenicists are achieving their dream. There's going to be less people, however you look at it. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think that's a, a planned operation, you know, and, and there's a huge difference between uh, toleration and glorification. Yes. And that's where we've reached glorification. And like it, you, it's, it's, it's not only to, you have to be equal and everything's okay and you're accepted. Now you're better than everyone else. And that's like, we're, we're putting you up on a pedestal and then you get the guy they put in charge of nuclear waste disposal who wears dog masks and throws <laughs> his purses off the, <laughs> at the airport. So uh, I think that's, that's kind of where you end up. And I think that's what uh, Biden might have been like in his globalist addled mind was like a lot of women in my administration are actually women. I think that yeah. was sitting around yeah. in his head. Yeah. So uh, get the shepherd's hook, guys. <laughs> Pull him off stage again, old Uncle Joe. <laughs> let's talk Let's talk a little bit. I, I didn't uh, uh, plug very much at all for for david and again uh listeners supported let me go let's, let's pull up the david knight show.com i just had it up okay let's let's look at the website and that is the david knight show.com 
great website. You can go there. You can sign up for uh, any sort of newsletters or uh, email alerts, and all the links to the shows are on ddavidnightshow.com. It shows the fuel gauge uh, for donations, and right now, uh, David needs some donations. If you are uh, so kind and uh, and you're able to, please uh, help uh, David stay on the air. That's one of the ways that you can do it. Um, also, you, we've got uh, sponsorship from uh, myself, which is, uh, of course, we got, I need to talk about the mugs too. Let me put uh, put my mug up here. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my mug, my the David Knight Show mug here. That's why we're able to do such a great broadcast because I have the, I have the mug in hand. I have the conk. So let's um, let's look also on on here. You can get uh, uh, stickers and the co- David Knight coin and mugs and pins and shirts, all kinds of good stuff. And of course, the link to uh, David Knight Gold, which is uh, from myself and Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. Um, right now, we've got uh, a lot of things going on at, at David Knight Gold, uh, along with direct sales and rollovers of four hundred one ks and IRAs. And there is no minimum to buy, but we have uh, set up Wolf Pack, which uh, there's a link to uh, davidknight.gold for Wolfpack, and uh, you can join that $50 a month to start. If you uh, are so inclined to get gold and silver delivered directly to your door, uh, and uh, again, that's $50 worth of medals, and it's automatic every month, and the credit goes to uh, the great David Knight. So I just wanted to remind everybody, those those uh, ways to donate and support the show are there. As a matter of fact, I had somebody um, recently uh, buy David Knight a Wolfpack membership. So they're paying for it and they're sending the medals directly to David. Now, I think that's great. Uh, obviously, you know, the the ins and outs are made right now through fiat currency. So, I mean, uh, first of all, if you're going to donate, I would look at other ways that, you know, you can put some fiat currency, some Luciferian baser notes, for lack of a better term, into the account. But if you want to go in direct and, you know, you're already doing that and you want to uh, add to it, I think that's fine. You can, we'll send it directly to, uh, to David's PO box. But uh, if you gentlemen would excuse me, guard, you want to take it for a second, and uh, I'm going sure. to go shut down this phone because it's been ringing here on my end. I have no one to answer it, so I'll be right back here. I'm at the WiseWolfGoldAndSilver.com studios, but I'll be right back. You got it. You got it. Yeah, guys, you know, I was thinking about what uh, Tony brought up, that comment of uh, Joe Biden about, uh, you know, half the women in his administration are women. And I thought, you know, he better not ask Katanji Brown-Jackson about that. Because uh, she can't tell. She was specifically asked by Marsha Blackburn, Senator Blackburn, and and she can't tell what a man or a woman is. And it, it, it is truly breathtaking that they've gotten to that point. And, you know, I have to say also that we talk a little bit about uh, Billy Ray, you brought up a really good point about how people in certain generations be behind us now don't have to experience the the kind of stresses and worries that maybe they used to have. Maybe there are many other kinds of worries that I haven't really considered, and I don't want to be blind to that. But as far as acceptance goes and things like that, maybe in some areas it's not as bad. And what I find interesting, as I mentioned, anger is an energy, uh, that that term, and how uh, some of the uh, the big mega corporations and certain politicians will latch on to anger and try to channel it in whatever way they want to channel it. And I thought about it. I don't know if you guys heard about this story about how this this weird there's there's this weird tipping point where and I don't know exactly where it is, where this push for more acceptance can be a great thing. But at the same time, 
it can be very, very destructive of culture. So I, I take as the example, over the weekend, I wrote a piece about how the Welsh Rugby Union Rugby League for years has seen people in the crowds sing Delilah by Tom Jones. Hmm. And it's become something of an anthem. But they sing the chorus of the song. And many people are unaware that the song is a lament sung from the perspective, almost in an Edgar Allan Poe, telltale heart type way, sung from the perspective of a man who's killed his lover out of jealousy. And, you know, he says, why did you do this to me? Why did you leave? I had the knife, you know, I, and then I used the knife and she will live no more, you know. And it's a great dramatic song. You know, it was Tom Jones's first number one, 1968 number one hit. And yet this is what we're seeing uh, there. The rugby union people have said we're going to no longer have that song sung. I guess maybe they would have, a, you know, someone do some music in the background and the crowd would sing sort of like they do at uh, Boston Red Sox games when they do Neil Diamond stuff, yeah. uh, you know. So uh, people are saying, Tom Jones has said, I'm proud of the song. It's not they say, oh, it's violence against women. And it's like, look, first of all, if you're just singing the chorus, then it has nothing to do with violence against women unless you're trying to, you know, talk about the meaning of the whole song. And then in that case, you actually do know the meaning of the whole song. It's an ironic lament. And I think that in some cases, what we see with the cancel culture is and, you know, we always used to hear from the leftists about nuance. Oh, you got to understand nuance. you got to be accepting of this nuance. But they're the ones now ranging from Faulty Towers episodes about the Germans that they just won't accept to uh, Count Dankula's Nazi pug joke <laughs> to up in Scotland. They try to put him in prison. I mean, so many areas where cancel culture, it is a thing. And they are reducing the ability of people to be able to absorb some really, really good um, fictional creations. And uh, I, I'd, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, you guys. Like Tony said, do you think it's reached its nadir or do you think it's going to get worse? And I'll give you another story after this about a writer that uh, I mentioned on my show last night that uh, could have a bearing on this. Don, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they really they're, they're pushing things to the limit already. And I, I think the only thing they can do and they apparently <clears throat> there's no way to turn back. They're literally you you see already in the in the popular culture, and I talked about this before, and I think the first hint of it was the painting in uh, John Podesta's office of a cannibal eating out of the cannibal. This cannibalism is going to be the next thing they're going to push. They're already trying to normalize it. The New York Times had a story about it saying we need to get over our uh, you know our reluctance about can't really about cannibalism. We used to make fun of the the you know you know the most uh, ignorant tribes on the planet that were you know they're you know, like head shrinkers and I mean now apparently people the elitists do this. I think that's coming next. You're gonna see some and at this point after the, after that Grammy the other night the only they, they couldn't go that much farther and unless they're gonna actually have a human sacrifice on television. And at this point the way that audience was sharing I think that you would still Get the cheering. I don't think there's anything they could do at this point where they wouldn't react. They wouldn't react to the stimuli, unless maybe they brought you know somebody out and in, in uh, you know clothes that you might have worn you know 50 years ago or something and sang something traditional. They might blanch at that. They might run in horror or something. But yeah, I think you have to keep pushing the envelope. That's that's the whole point of this is you have to keep pushing the envelope. You can't stop. You know, it's because and where it's leading to an end goal, I don't know. But I know that there uh, there's really even more ugliness to come if they keep pushing it. 
Um, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. What's that? Go, go. I was going to say. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No. no. <laughs> you go. You go, brother. You, you've been involved in the conversation longer. No, I, I, I largely agree with Don. We, we, um, we have a problem moving forward. Um, they're going to switch all of this up. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm not incredibly optimistic about where this is going to go. And I, and I hate to sound this way. Right. But I, I, you know, and I can change tomorrow if, if somebody presents me with this brilliant idea and I'm like, oh, my God, this is this this can help. And and there are ways where we can delay the inevitable, at least for us um, and and try to spread it, you know, a little more, you know, and, and hope for the best. But largely, we're, we're, this is something we're going to face. It, it's it's I remember I was I told Tony about this this I have it right here right Jerry Mander was the name of the guy who wrote this book Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television and I, I purchased this just just based on the title and I hadn't read it but I started and you know it's a lot of the things that we talk about now he's talking about blue light I forget when this was written you know um, but when when um, he came out with these ideas people were like yeah this is crazy dude. What, what, what's the problem? I'm sure somebody was saying that about radio. You know, like, we can't, this is a slippery slope. We got to be careful. This is what's happening now. It's just at a higher level. I, I don't see a way out of it. We need to prepare ourselves to deal with it and prepare our kids. I think that's the only way out of it, right? Prepare our kids. And hopefully, you know, uh, some of our kids or our, our friends, one of them, would be the catalyst for for worldwide change, right? And, and hope for the best. But we just have to prepare ours and those that we love and the people that are listening, right? You guys prepare us. We prepare you. It's it's a it's a beautiful exchange, right? To to get ready for this. It's like there's a nuclear bomb that's going off. It's going to go off. It's going to go off. What are we going to do? It's not. Maybe it won't go off. No, no, no. It's going off. What are we going to do to survive? That's that's really the way I think we need to be looking at this. This change is coming. Um, it's already here in large part. You know, it, it's like stage four cancer at this point. The way it's infiltrated society. Yeah. You know, and, and and we just need to take it from that perspective and move forward that way in order to help ourselves and 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 maybe eventually help everyone else. But that's the way we need to look at it, in my opinion. Yeah, Tone, I was talking about the uh, the story out of Wales about how they want to ban Tom Jones's Delilah from being sung and asking, you know, uh, as we find more acceptance, where is that dividing line between acceptance and actually shutting down dissent from what is deemed by those who are the elites as unacceptable because it's not accepting enough or it's too violent or whatever, you know, uh, the speech policing problem, of course, arising both through society and technology and government. And um, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on it because I, don't, I was just wondering, as you were saying, you know, have, has it reached its nadir, uh, its lowest point? And um, I think many people in many generations think, oh, it couldn't get any worse and something gets crazy. But I'm inspired uh, in a way looking at all you guys because I see you guys as the remnant. And I can learn so much from you guys. It really gives me a lot of hope. I know there are a lot of people out there. So, you know, positives and negatives are sort of what I was serving up while you were away there. Well, nothing happens in a vacuum. 
um, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I think about um, you know, yesterday on the Jack Allen show that we referenced Apocalypse Now. And, you know, yeah. that uh, that's based on the book, uh, I think, Conrad Black with the uh, Heart of Darkness. And, uh, you know, again, uh, Colonel Kurtz in that movie has gone insane. And uh, he's at the end of the river and he just couldn't compute that they were out there doing horrible violence. And the generals and the planners would say they would reprimand anyone who wrote a, a, a profane word on a bomb. So if you wrote the F word on a bomb that was used to incinerate children, the bomb wasn't bad, but the word was. And that's that's the insanity of our society, the the mutilation of our of our young. And again, just look at the CDC. I bring this up again and again, but, you know, fit, voting 15 to zero to make the COVID-19 bioweapon uh, shots uh, part of your child's scheduled vaccines. With the evidence here, I, I know the word myocarditis because of you guys. I know it because of what you pushed in Operation Warp Speed. So we're living in two different worlds. You know, you want to protect me from a Tom Jones song, but you want to <laughs> kill kids? Knowingly, you're going to let that slip. You're going to, again, this is 15 to 0, no dissent, lockstep. So that's where we are right now. And I think, you know, the center cannot hold. Things fall apart. So we're going to see that society starts breaking away and pushing back on this. The inertia is too strong. And I, I think you look at the movements of young people now. I'm fascinated by younger men. Like, I didn't have this when I was a younger man. But they, you look around, you see the, the these men's movements and young men, they're just pushing back on society. Like, you know, guys, that hey, we're, we're not going to watch pornography. We're not going to we're not going to be part of this hookup culture. We're going to you know start families and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to start a business and like embracing being uh, your yourself. Actually, we're not going to be the 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 stupid dad on a sitcom. You know, we're going to be leaders and they're pushing back on that. And it's it's growing. It's like it's like the water hyacinth. You ever know what a water hyacinth that grows in a pond, you know, and like it'll be one then two. And then all of a sudden it's it's, it's doubling and doubling and doubling. And, and that's what's happening but we're just beginning to see that that effect. And it's right now, it's really disconcerting because we're looking around like, does anybody care that this is going on? I think it is. And I mean, people going back to tradition, um, but we can't trust these institutions. I mean, David was talking about the other day in a fourth turning, you just have these institutions are dying and they're just putting, you know, what was it, a few years ago, guard, they were, they were going to ban the song, baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. Well, they did. I mean, they banned it off. Like that's offensive. But not abortion on demand, and well, not more forever. Well, when you talk about the the the, uh, the song Delilah, there's a, a much more re recent song that is a much bigger celebration of murder, and that's "Goodbye Earl" by the former Dixie Chicks, who are now yes. the Chicks. I mean, that's that is an absolute celebration of killing the guy. I mean, they go into gore. I mean, I it's a catchy song too. Because I I said, you know, why I love this, you know, uh, music. But God, look what they're saying. And of course, it's because he was an abuser or whatever. That's a real celebration. of. But I don't think uh, the former Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, I doubt that they'll they'll uh, come into quite as much controversy as uh, poor Tom Jones is, I guess. Let's let's yeah. look at, at Megan the Stallion or or Cardi B. <laughs> Go look at that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cardi B's from the Bronx, man. She's not far. She's an ex-stripper. Um Go, go, pull up a song, pull up, pull up WAP. Go, go, go pull that up. Read the lyrics. I'm not going to do it here. Read the lyrics. And, and you tell me which is worse. 
right? Any Tom Jones song, anyone, pick them, anyone compared to that. And that is mainstream on the radio. Now, of course, they bleep some things out, but come on, that only makes it worse, right? Like, why are they bleeping that out? Let me go listen to the real one on YouTube Mm -hmm. that has a billion with a B views on YouTube, (laughs) right? That's that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? A billion views for that. It's ridiculous, right? It's it's ridiculous. It's not music. It's not even, you know, that there's music that that that's done that I don't think is music, but it's at least tasteful. This is just next level garbage. You know, I don't know which would bother me more, guys. Um, If this were just something that were spontaneously erupting in society. Or if I didn't see these two prongs, at least two prongs, one is the sort of Tavistock social engineering, uh, cultural Marxist push to do the one-upsmanship going all the way back, you know, back as Don said, I didn't even think about that the 50s, you know, rebellious teen angst stuff into the 80s when a guy from New Hampshire, just a couple towns away, I knew him, G.G. Allen, Mm. became infamous because he was right. Brett G.G. Allen and punk, uh, you know, he got into the punk world. And rather than recognizing the meaning of life and that the music was a way to rebel against the state and stolid music that was being forced down by corporate entities, he attached to the violence, to the to the, um, you know, to the 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 anger and just lost it. Uh, Just a really sad thing. Um, You know, so you don't know whether it's it's. It's all uh, societally driven or Tavistock driven plus government. But I think to myself, I say, you know, uh, I I don't think that when we see society doing it, um, it is natural. But the other thing that really bothers me is the other prong, which is trying to get the government to shut down ideas like what we're saying here, like David Knight's show, like corporations coming down like Google, and I'll bring up MRC TV, as you guys probably know, uh, my work for MRC TV was put on the Google blacklist. Um, and so people searching for stories couldn't see, they wouldn't see my stuff or the MRC TV stuff in general um, pop up the way it should have. You know, you got things like uh, Andrew Clavin, the novelist Andrew Clavin. Um, a lot of these people professionally have suffered because not only this societal Tavistock stuff has popped up and been pushed and pushed and pushed for decades, where people think that it's virtuous to shut down speech, yeah. not to just criticize, but to shut it down. And then through government to actually foster that, to create these institutions that are back doors for politicians to get in. And Tony, I'll bring this up to you guys. Um, Billy Ray, Don, you probably haven't heard about this, but a friend of mine, one of my writing mentors, multiple Bram Stoker Award winner named Tom Monteleone, was recently featured in a piece from the Daily Beast because when they nominate the Bram Stoker Award winners, he had noticed that they were starting to virtue signal. They were starting to, it seemed hand out awards just for being some minority group or representing something almost in a literary fiction style, you know, that navel gazing nonsense. And he's a, he's a, you know, 
a, a down and dirty jazz loving dude who uses terms like daddy o and you know a total italian kind of style guy wrote a column for a long time called mafia the mother and father's italian association for a magazine called cemetery dance and he, he hates political correctness right so he spoke up and for the nominations for this year for the bram stoker award and he has won a lifetime achievement bram stoker award for horror writing right so um he he does anthologies and, and so on and he said you know uh i i noticed there's a lot of pc stuff going on and stuff so i'd like to nominate a a, a smart uh, a smart white guy or something like that just to tweak this mm -hmm. that exploded and from that time any of his defenses have just made it worse it seems and they have banned him they tried to pull back his bram stoker awards they won't allow him to enter the convention for the bram stoker award the ebook publisher that was carrying him evidently it looks like they're not going to carry him now i mean all sorts of stuff this guy's profession he's 70 75 and and you know what i you know the other thing that contributes to it i think is these people, we all used to get together at conventions. We all used to tolerate each other's differences. But online, not going to happen. Right. They wipe them out. They don't have to see them, don't have to meet them again. They can close and close them down. It's amazing. And it says, you, you say to yourself, so what really was going on in your heart that all those times that we hung out in the lobby of the hotel and, you know, had uh, Tootsie Rolls together out on, the, out on the lawn and stuff, all these different groups hanging out. Did you really hate him that much? It's weird, you know. Yeah, it's it's not very, even it's, and not even willing to have a conversation. Right, right. It's, it's crazy. Weird. This is what this creates. If there's a silver lining in any of this, you you get to see what people are really about. Yeah, right? because they're not yeah. going to tell you to your face nine times out of ten. You know, so they'll sit there and have tootsie rolls with you, and it's all good. Right. Do you good, think right? do, you, do you think Billy Ray that 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 if you had repeated human contact, people can grow out of that, and they can rather than getting locked in with all the other people who nod and agree in their politically correct, hard on their sleeves wokeism, that if you're actually getting together with people on a on a little park bench, uh, hanging out with people at a at a bar or something like that, you'll actually maybe over time become more accepting of people absolutely you know absolutely it's so 100%. disappointing 100 yeah. oh. well it's it's about it's about uh you know i i make these uh, uh analogies all the time to the way things used to be back in america 1.0 the ugly part of america 1.0 lots of good parts of it with it obviously some people in that time we really only had one distinctive minority group in the United States then black people. So I, when I was a very little kid, the civil rights movement was happening. And, uh, you know, it was obviously that, that impulse was there from uh, society and its institutions and everything to uh, keep this particular group down right. and give them a second class citizenship. You didn't have Hispanics. You didn't have Asians. You're very, very, very few. You really only had the one group, but I'm sure that probably would have been the case for them as well at that time. But now you completely flip it on the air. And then, of course, you had Martin Luther King as he dreamed of a day when his, his children could, they could play together with white children and everything. And uh, I have a dream speech, right? And the content of their character, all that stuff. Nobody on the left believes in that today. They completely flipped it on its ear. But what's different is that you didn't have black people in charge of all the corporations back then uh, 
keeping black people down. You didn't have a bunch of black people that were running things going out and saying how bad blacks were and how terrible it was, toxic blackness and all that stuff and, and making sure their kids, when they go to school, get taught how bad they are, like they have original sin. But you have, you know, this is this is a, you know, the critical race theory thing. That's the reality it faces now. And I hate ended, you know, sounding like a white nationalist or something. But the anti-white agenda is so obvious, and it's coming mostly from whites. That's why my answer all to them is that you do realize you're white, right? These corporations are run by white people, and you're white yourself. You Karen that's running around saying, "Do you exempt your own children? Do you feel that way about them too?" So that's that's it's insidious. We've never tried to have an egalitarian. I'm an egalitarian. There are no egalitarians out there. We've never tried that approach where everybody's treated the same. We went right from sitting in the back of the bus to affirmative action. And it's been worse ever since. We've never tried. And you know what? We really are going to judge people by the content of their character. But now with virtue signaling and everything, that's all out the window. The last thing that counts in, in America 2.0 is your character. As you know, Gard talked about giving out awards and everything. It's all about that. It can't be. We're supposed, Thomas Jefferson dreamed of a meritocracy. We're the farthest thing removed from meritocracy at this point. And unfortunately, what happens is people that aren't white, that come from a, a minority group that they're trying to push, then uh, people tend to look, you know, to askew at any of them and think, well, you just got there because of affirmative action or they picked you because of what you are, where you may actually be qualified. You may actually be that good. But nobody's going to give you credit. Society will give you credit even if you're not good. But the rest of us that are kind of suspicious about all this, we're not going to respect any of it. So it's it's just a mess. But, uh, you know, if Martin Luther King was around today, he would be considered a white supremacist. <laughs> Probably true. Yeah. Mind control and manufactured divisions is what we have today. And the ironic part about all of it, you if you if you have something that's being promoted uh, heavily, it's most likely a a form of uh, an operating system for control. No, you're right. Well, I'm saying, you know, look at uh, so like guard is a libertarian and, uh, you know, a volunteerist and, uh, you know, anarchist or whatever. Who's funding that? Almost no one. Right. Because it can't really freedom can't really be used as a way, a means of control. So you see these useful idiots and people that are promoting communism, socialism, and even the leadership has no idea or maybe they do. I mean, you look at the leadership of BLM and the rest um, funded heavily by the world's richest people. And that's it's over and over and over again. We see like, you know, you look at the, um, the, what are the editors of the New York times? I mean, she's allowed to get away with saying like smelly old white people and all this, <laughs> yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. I can't stand to be around white people, all this stuff. And it's coming from, you know, and of course the New York slimes is owned by Carlos slime, Carlos slim, a Mexican billionaire who wants <clears throat> remittance payments and all the rest. But see, that's always driven. And we live in a, a fake reality. Uh, really just manufactured by people with with access to so-called capital and monopoly money. And it all has to do with the systems that can be used to control us. We have so much in common. The everyday person, the person just wants to take care of their family and put food on the table and, and make a living and be left alone. We're the majority. And it doesn't matter what political spectrum you're on. If you could spend time with that, but we're not supposed to. We have Fox News to keep us you know, and MSNBC to keep us driven apart, or I mean, CNN. If the I think there's only four people watching it, and those are the people that are in the the, <laughs> the actual studio. 
So then no one's watching. <laughs> but that, this is what this all those means of control are for. And this is this is the sophistication of the mind. And I have no idea how to even decipher it. But I know that I, I'm a victim of mind control. If I when maybe a victim's not the word, but I'm um, I'm a veteran of the mind war. Let's put it that way. I mean, Bill, Billy Ray and I have even talked here on this show. Uh, you know, the uh, the PSYOPs uh, Center at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which I'm familiar with, uh, the Psychological Warfare Operations uh, Brigade put out a video. Uh, what was it back in De December, Billy, or, or sooner um, that talked about, you know, what they do. They control the narrative. They control the outcome. And uh, that's what PSYOPs are. So we're living inside a real time. And even, you know, Donald Jeffries mm -hmm. is talking about this. I mean, people are always World War Three already is going to kick off. We're already in it. I mean, there it's the governments of the world against its people. And I'm starting even even to become skeptical of my own foreign policy analysis. I'm like, is any of this real? I mean, you have <laughs> balloons flying across and we can't shoot it down. We're like a pitiful giant. No one knows what to do. And, you know, and, and of course they know what to do. And it's like, how where does where does the collusion with China begin and our own sovereignty? I don't know. I mean, are, are we are we even separate anymore with the amount of uh, insiders that run this country? So we, we just deciphering what is actually decoding things is, is a full-time job now we hope i hope that we're doing okay for you ladies and gentlemen out there we're this is a this turned into like a, a nice round table discussion on the uh the big issues of the day which i'm really enjoying guard you got anything you want to add well yeah you know tony that that's um you bring up something that i i think is is to me really important you know uh when you look at ostracism and you think about how in small communities, that's reputation and ostracism are very important. You go back, as I sometimes mentioned uh, doing broadcasts, you go back to the tribes of Israel in the desert. Um, they didn't have any government until they, and they were warned, don't bring in a king. And they brought in a king and they were told, this is what's gonna happen. And that's what happened, you know, taking a massive portion of their, their best cattle, you know, taking their young men for wars and things like that. But prior to that, they did it by tribes and ostracism and reputation. And they had the elders who would sort of oversee things. And as I've mentioned before, the ancient Irish did that for a thousand years, the Brehan law system. And um, I think when you have small areas of people with common interests uh, who can voluntarily gather, uh, ostracism is is uh, pretty pretty well managed. Uh, sometimes it can get out of hand and so on, but at least there are places where you can flee. The larger the area of control, as as we often say, as F.A. Hayek, the economist, said, the the worst the decisions can be for many many people. Bad decisions will harm more people. And I think with hegemonic ostracism, uh, or any sort of uh, hegemonic way to try to cut down people over large scales. And we get this now through electronic media that is often driven by certain groups. Uh, and it's a very subtle, very long-term thing, but it's also driven by these individuals who are oftentimes hypocritical. And I'll give you that example from, from my uh, writer friend's situation. Um, as uh, there are two points, uh, many years ago, he was going to edit an anthology and for the submissions for the anthology, he said on Facebook, he strips the names off of the story submissions and he just reads the stories and then he decides, do I like this story or do I not like this story? He had no agenda except good stories. And he got slammed. People said, you should be more inclusive. What? Why are you not being more inclusive? What's wrong with you? Aren't you thinking about the plight of X, Y or Z group? And he said, no, I'm thinking about the book. 
the stories. I'm paraphrasing now. And then he said, you know, a basketball coach isn't trying to populate his team with X, Y, and Z type of skin color. He wants guys who can drive the lane and get rebounds and play defense. You know, that's, this is ridiculous. They slammed him for that. And he said, he said, basically what he said is if every player on a team is a black guy, I don't care. And they're like, oh, so you're saying black people are the only ones who can play basketball now. Well, that's racist. Mm-hmm. It's like, geez, you just can't win. And I'll give you this, the hypocrisy of people. And I, and I think it's much easier in large areas where you can find other ne'er-do-wells who are never happy about anything and congregate with those people. And God forbid, I hope I'm not ever in that situation where I'm accused of doing that. I hope I can be as open as possible and friendly to people and say, okay, you go your way, I'll go my way, as Fleetwood Mac would say again, to both Fleetwood Mac t- twice in a show. But um, years later, uh, when, and I mentioned this, I mentioned this uh, off the air uh, last night, Tony, when you and I were chatting, Harvey Weinstein stuff came up and it was all the Me Too thing. And uh, all these leftist people on Facebook, all these writerly types who aspire to be literary fiction people, in other words, write nonsense, self-navel-gazing, you know, uh, garbage that's pushed by the major publishing houses from New York and, you know, populates 75% of many bookstores. Um, uh, What you see in these people is they're all out there and they're all like, oh yeah, they're actually posting on the sites, women, if you've experienced these bad things, uh, maybe I haven't been open enough to it, please post on my page what your experience was and so on and so forth. And maybe they were heartfelt about it, right? Maybe they weren't trying to virtue signal that much or they didn't even realize that it was insufferable virtue signaling, right? (laughs) It goes beyond a certain level. You got to stop at a certain point. It's like Oprah. Her first, like 10 of her first 12 books on the Oprah list were always about a woman who was victimized and how she (laughs) overcame it. It's like, no, what you're doing is perpetuating the victimization culture. People think they're all victims about something. Not everybody's a stinking victim, you know, let's get over it. And if we were victims, you need to get over it and stop talking about it so much. The way Morgan Freeman mentioned to Don Lemon, stop talking about it, (laughs) move on, you know? So what's interesting is, they're all posting this stuff about Weinstein. Don't blame the victim, victim shaming, you know, don't that sort of stuff. Literally, a few days later was when Rand Paul's neighbor attacked Rand Paul, right? Beat him to, a, you know, possibly almost killing him, puncturing his lungs. Rand loses function of part of his lung. He's, he's, he's in therapy for months after that, physical therapy, trying to get better. What do these people post? Some of them. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yes. Yeah. And it just, you just sit there. So I got in there. And as I mentioned to you, Tony, last night on the phone, I, I, I was going to jump in and just be like, what the hell is wrong with you people? You know, I'm like, do you even have any clue what you were saying last week and now what you're doing? But I waited like a day and then I went into Facebook and I hardly ever go to Facebook anymore because it's just so difficult. And, um, and I, I got in there and I, I scrolled down and I, I posted a comment. I was like, hey, guys, I just wanted to mention to you, like these kinds of comments, they kind of verge perilously close to the very thing that you were decrying last week, the blaming right. the victim. And I didn't get any responses. Well, yeah, you, there are only only certain people can be victims, and certainly the, the uh, white people, white Christians especially, can't be victims. But the left, again, the left that I was a part of, celebrated nonviolence. Again, Martin Luther King's entire the civil rights movement was but 
uh, based on nonviolent resistance. Where, when have you heard that term lately? It's like victimless crimes. So as a libertarian, you know that guard. Uh, mm -hmm. It's gone out the window. But I mean, this was celebrated from Thoreau, who never gets credit for starting it. And then uh, Gandhi, who, well, Gandhi's a white supremacist. I forgot. They tore a statue down a couple of years ago, remember? So he, even though he's a brown person <laughs> who uh, popularized nonviolent resistance and against white colonialism in the British Empire, he's considered a, a white supremacist now. But this is the mad world we live in. They've gone from nonviolent resistance or Martin Luther King. The reason I think it succeeded, that's what I think our side at this point to try to, that's probably the only chance we would have. Maybe if we could get millions of people to nonviolently resist, to sit in in places, sit, but you need numbers. You need a lot of numbers. And, uh, but now the left celebrates violence, punch a Nazi in the face. And of course, they're going to say who a Nazi is. It's not going to be a Nazi. It's going to be whoever they don't like. Punch a Nazi in the face. As you said, just the joke they made, they'll make that all the time. They'll be very happy with, with someone they don't like being uh, hit or physically assaulted. And again, that's not, that's not what the left, you know, what about the peace sign? Come on, man, make love, not war, all that. What happened to that? It's all exactly. Billy Ray flashed it, but not anymore. Although it came um, from... <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Tony just made me laugh. A little um, mix in there. I am not a cracker. It's uh, uh, Nixon and and most famously now Roger Stone. Roger Stone. Oh yes. yeah. Roger right. Stone's for peace, man. Right. Sure. <laughs> it comes from it comes from Winston Churchill, by the way, who uh, first flashed it at one of the big warmongers of all time. And I think, uh, I believe, I talked about this in the Crimes and Coverups uh, that uh, he got it from Alistair Crowley. That's right. Oh, so oh, so, so this is where so it's been it's been you know peace. Hey, fantastic. But it was V for victory. Yes, according to Alistair Crowley, who gave Alistair Crowley. And what now kind of victory? You know, this was a guy who conducted, <laughs> apparently conducted human sacrifices. I don't know, but he's uh, hey, you know, Hollywood. Hollywood has worshipped him for a long time. So he's yeah. if he was alive today, he'd be the star of the Grammys. The Beast six six six, and of course, I think that's Hillary Clinton nowadays. But you know, we'll we'll, we'll go down that route later. Listen, I, I I do want to just inject an idea, uh, to the discussion that we were having here, right? And and um. I think it was Don that said, he's like, you know, it's the the attack on whites, but who is pushing from the top level the attack on whites? Yeah. White, people. white people. It's white people. It's 100%. coming from white people. Why is this happening? Right? So uh, critical race theory is something that's incredible to me. Right? I've seen that. I'm looking at this and I'm like, man. And if you tune in to conservative media, you think it's widespread bread that oh my god everybody's being taught this maybe that's the case now but i'll explain why that is because it wasn't taught before right i don't know what the hell critical race theory was my kids don't know what critical race theory is and we don't know it by name and we don't know it by content because it wasn't taught you know it, it just wasn't a thing sean hannity and uh, uh, Tucker Carlson got a hold of something that happened. To, I'm sure it was taught somewhere. And they got a hold of that and blew it up like a PCR test. Boom. Right. And everybody that was watching was like, oh, my God, this is a problem. Critical race theory is a problem. So what's the reaction from the left, from CNN and, and, and any of these um, uh, outlets that push this stuff? They start bringing on the people that are actually doing the critical race theory. 
that are actually the proponents of it, that write it up and that push it and that teach it at universities, they give them a spotlight that they didn't have before in reaction to what was going on with the right. And then it spreads awareness. People get hip to it and they're like, oh, this is what we need to be teaching. It's the divide. The, 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 um, the conservative right is saying this is widespread and it's not at the time. But um, everybody seems to think it's widespread. And as a reaction, the far left, they bring on their, their talking heads that push this at universities, very smart PhDs that sit there and, well, you know, this, that, and the other. I don't agree with anything that they say, but they have some credibility in the mainstream. And that's how it spreads. That's how we got to where we are now, where we're arguing about critical race theory, when in reality, it wasn't a thing. It just wasn't. I mean, it existed, but was it was it far? It's like white supremacy. It exists. It's a thing. But I don't know a white supremacist. Tony says the same thing. I've, I've never met a white supremacist in my life. Well, the, well, the interesting thing about white supremacy is that uh, the the way the media focuses, the white supremacists are people who have the least privilege. Uh, like, for instance, you're never going to see them call Bill Gates a white supremacist, not in a million years, or somebody, or Warren Buffett, or uh, Mar, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, or Jeff Bezos. You ever heard them call? I mean, that that's you know, if there is such a thing as white supremacy, you, you have like a, you know, hundred billion dollars, you're reigning supreme. And you're right, but that that's a, it's for average people, just like those people are never guilty of um, you know using too much energy or leaving too big of a carbon footprint. It's you and me. It's meant to divide, yeah. Don. Yes, this yes. is what this is all about. Yep, all of it. It's meant to divide these, th- and we we especially here, and and I'm guilty of it too. We we run right after these things here in the in the alternative media, and we should know better, knowing where it comes from. Instead of attaching ourselves to these to these ideas and assuming that what they're telling us is true, because it wasn't, it might be now, but it's a direct result of what they said, what they put forth, the colonization of the mind that came from the television, that came from what Tucker Carlson was saying, because we respect him, that came from what Don Lemon was saying, because we respect him, because he's an anchor on television, right? So that is where we get, that's how we got here. Because it wasn't that way before. They blew this up. And it's, what does it do? It causes a division. That's all it is. I, I just want people to, to, to recognize and reflect on that. It, it's really that simple. Talk to your people in New York. Well, maybe now it's too late. Maybe now they're like, yeah, critical race theory, it's a thing. Maybe now it's, it's far spread. But I don't remember that. And none of my friends remember that. We don't know what that is. Well, it's, I think history has shown that if you want to have a society that's going to um, to create a great evil, you have to first get that society to identify as a victim. That's a history 101. Right. That's the first. The victims create the evils of history or the so-called victims. And I think that the 1619 Project and uh, cultural race theory, all that stuff, or, or critical race theory, is all just an extension of the Frankfurt School. This has been going on since the the 1930s and the, the communists and Marxist uh, revolutionaries who understood that, you know, the, the capture of the, of the, um, of the Russian people was only a totalitarian top-down uh, system that people's hearts and minds had not accepted communism. And so they realized they had to start from the bottom up. And that's where you get the intellectuals that were um, kicked out of the third Reich and sent to the United States and 
set up the uh, the you know in the university systems, and that's where you get the the nineteen sixties. And we're just dealing with the end game of that. I mean, this is an operation in so many ways to take down a great society and a culture. And uh, again, we there's, that's why I say I don't I don't I'm not a conservative because there's nothing to I mean I'm not what am I going to conserve of this of this this uh, current system that we're in the current culture. I mean, right now we we have a, a lot of restoring to do. We don't have, a, there's no, almost no, no conserving to do. Right. Yeah. You well, know, I, uh, I take guys, uh, yeah, it makes me think a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the pushes that Frankfurt school made uh, a couple of years ago, I got to do a documentary series for MRC TV about Marxism and I've been using a lot of the original notes that I wrote for that and the text I wrote for that to start or um, well, finish, I should say. I'm coming close to finishing a book on Marxism, collectivism and uh, how it's always the David versus Goliath motif where, um, you know, the the people think they're fighting the big bad guy by bringing down the uh the capitalists bringing down the property owners bringing down this bringing down that oftentimes they don't even know that the messages that they're spouting were created by massive so-called capitalists that are tied to humongous corporations and have very very deep roots with some of the worst legacies of corporatism and colonialism that go back to the british empire and the east india tea company you know um we and, and even further than that you know if you look at the bloodlines and illuminati stuff and things like that and um so uh they just took they just took tony out and he's he's been eliminated it's gonna be it's gonna be a mystery story the next one it's gonna go then, yeah then there were fewer no he's I, back he didn't he like that he's already back yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so yeah as bill gates was there pressing the button i think i'll get rid of this one i'm gonna do a really good job of getting rid of tony with this button yeah you know i think i think here in this grid one of these numbers is gonna have to be brought down to zero just from basic algebra i've been doing i did deadlifts yesterday and just i'm about doing a competition again in sometime in april and then texas Ooh. just a, a deadlift and bench press deal and I, I just uh, sitting for like an hour or more, my sciatic nerve, because I'm old now and I'm all, I have all the, I jumped out of airplanes and all that good mm -hmm. stuff. So I'm, uh, I've got this, the skeletal structure of a little older man, I think, than 43. So I'm just having to readjust my leg. Crazy <laughs> stuff. But yeah, you know, um, uh, and I have an aside to ask you guys about this, but, but uh, yeah, so, you know, they don't realize this. It's always the David versus Goliath. You go back to Rousseau. He was jealous of the guys who went to the salons like Voltaire, and he wanted to be part of that crowd. And so when he wrote his discourse on inequality, which was actually for a competition, and he sent it off, it was all this, I'm a victim, uh, all, people like me are victims of the people who own the property and stuff. And, you know, there was a tinge of that, as I mentioned, you know, Marx was able to take advantage of the resentment people felt about the old feudal system and the people who were so closely associated with the bloodlines and the parliament that they got favors showered on them, that they got people's traditional community oriented land taken away from them during the enclosure movement and all these things where all of a sudden their farms are taken and these new property owners are coming in, the liege lords are coming in and they're, they're populating them with sheep, you know? And so 
these sorts of things, you can understand resentment. As I mentioned, bourgeoisie, that comes from Burger, the Germans. Yes. That's the Burgermeister Meister Burger. It was the royally appointed local governor or mayor of a certain region. And they had very close ties to the guilds, which then oftentimes became the corporations. And they got rent seeking. They excluded competition, AT&T of an older sort. And so we see this pattern all the time. But the problem with this is that the very people who want power lever that terminology and that sort of resentment of the big guy to get the populace, the people who were the peace and love people, they were led astray by people like Bill Clinton, who, as you know, when he got into office, jets flew over during during the day that he was being sworn in. Somebody ducked and they said, oh, don't worry, they're ours now. These supposed anti-war people. Right. So we know there's always this faction that seems to be steering these things. And I don't know how to resolve it, you guys, but I am curious to think about how it, it seems like just continually trying to remind people like, hey, be on guard. Don't buy into this and don't think that you're going to find your answers in the government to make everybody equal. Right, that right. seems to me like one of the few answers I can come up with. Well, you mentioned the term bourgeois. And, and when I was again, when I was a kid, I, I, I heard that term petty bourgeois. All the yeah. time, man. But it, it it was it was not meant again. Just as when they talk about white privilege, white supremacy, they don't mean the Bill Gates's of the world. They mean the middle class. And when they're talking about petty bourgeois, you could see the arguments in All in Family uh, between you know Archie Bunker and his daughter. I mean, they were arguing with their parents. They were arguing with middle class, lower middle class people. Those were the bourgeois that they hated. It weren't. It wasn't the elite that has all the wealth. Just as again, they're, when they're talking about white supremacists, they're talking about people who have who are struggling from paycheck to paycheck and clearly have no privilege at all. They're not talking about the people that have privilege, and it's it's basically an extension of that Marxism argument. Marxism was all things about destroying the middle class, and that's why in, in America they had quite a job to do because the one good thing that in terms of America that, that came out of the great thing that came out of World War II was that post-war boom, unfortunately built largely on defense contractors and the intelligence agencies, the growth of the government, but it did build a middle class, a suburbia that the world had never seen before. And so this was by the time the 60s rolled around and the hippies, this is what they wanted to destroy. They'd want to destroy you know, some celebrity that owned private islands. They didn't talk about that. They resented what the middle class had and that's why today the battle is still, and you know Tony and I have talked about this before. You, they're they're squeezing out what's left of the middle class. So you had the bottom fifty percent that when I wrote Survival of the Richest, the bottom of the fifty percent had less than one percent of the collective wealth together. That's half the country. Now since that time, how many millions of uh, migrants of illegal aliens at the absolute bottom that are poorer than anybody here have entered the country? So they've extended that 50%. I don't know what it is now. But, and of course, we know about the 20% at the top that manage the mess for the absolute people at the top. They're doing well. So that leaves, you know, about 30% or whatever that, that, that's in there that, that was the middle class and they're being squeezed out. That's what they mean by the bourgeois. When they, turn, when they you know, turn down their noses that they think that we're a bunch of, uh, like uh, Henry Kistner said, useless eaters. They don't like us and they, I don't know, they want us gone apparently and they're getting their wish with the culling the herd here. And you know what really gets me, you guys, is the excuse for aggression that this sort of mindset instills in people. And, and, and to me, from my anarchist position, you know, I think about that TV series, The Prisoner, and I brought this up to David 
uh, once uh, when, when he had me on as a guest. There's a particular scene in The Prisoner where number two, who in that particular episode was being played by Leo McKern, who then went on to do Rumpole of the Bailey and so on and so forth. Number two is speaking to Patrick McGowan's number six, The Prisoner. And he utters this term uh, called pop. And in fact, it, that actually is a reference to the end of one episode. They put up this graphic of the world exploding just as the music ends. And they only played it once. It was from an episode called The Chimes of Big Ben. And it says pop. And it's this explosion. And pop stands for protect other people. And it, it is at the, the, I believe it's at the heart of the mistake many people make when they buy into Marxism, when they buy into collectivism, and they buy these narratives that we have to protect other people from the exploiter. We have to protect other people from X, Y, or Z. And from an anarchist standpoint, it actually goes to even John Locke's argument about government. He claimed in the second treatise that people voluntarily form a government coming out of what they called the state of nature. And the state of nature was a position where he said it could be preying on everybody preying on everybody. And they called that actually leading to a state of war against people, right? A constant state of war. So he said, in order to avoid that, people voluntarily form a government to create a police force to protect people and a justice force. But of course, as I mentioned, inherent in that is the tautology, the inherent illogic, because the government itself is now the predator. It is telling you, you will pay not only for your own protection, but to protect other people. And it's that heart of the assumption that government will tell you, you must protect other people. You must provide people with this that I think opens the Pandora's box. And even in John Locke's second treatise, he said, no man should be deprived of the fruits of his labor without his consent. And then he said, literally in the next sentence, and by his consent, I mean the consent of the majority. So we have a major problem here philosophically where people, people are sold a bill of goods even within the American context. And at least if we can get people to recognize that and start to see that, yes, they tried to write down that the government can't do everything to supposedly protect other people. They tried to write rules on the constitutional level and in the Declaration of Independence. At least if we could get them to understand that, they could see how dark that tunnel is because it leads to Marxism. It leads to all of this thing, the ostracism of people who are just offering up fairness. But no, they're not protecting other people enough the way that the cultural Marxists want them to. Yeah, designed to fail. Yeah. Like designed to have a, it's a perpetual outrage machine that is just uh, the, what they call the acid of modernity being uh, poured onto our culture. And you can see it, we're down, we're down to the base now. It's, there's not much left of it. And uh, I, you know, I'm thinking what happens after this fourth turning, so, you know, talking yesterday on, uh, Speaking with Jack Allen, I said, uh, you know, the uh, America, I don't believe, is going away, but the American empire is. And what we are up against and what we need to pray about and 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 uh, and and think about and, and try to, uh, you know, th look at ways that we can thrive through is that that may not be a peaceful breakup. You know, the, when I was um, 
10 years, 11 years old, the uh, uh, Soviet Union fell apart. And uh, it was just gone in one day. You know, Gorbachev came out on Christmas in 91 and, and just said, bye. You know, it was the gave up the ghost and it broke into 16 people. It was mostly, mostly peaceful. And uh, I don't know that the same thing will happen to the, the United States of America uh, as the empire with 700 bases in 132 countries. That's what concerns me um, because we, you know, we have these elite and those who have um, based their entire livelihood off the, the petrodollar and the dominance of the, of that. And uh, as the world's reserve currency that they need a war to, to bail it out and they need a war to save it. So I'm, I'm concerned with all this. I mean, we have the, in the periphery, of, of the culture degrading, you have uh, all these tensions that we manufacture. You know, we didn't, we don't have to be at war in Ukraine. We don't have to be sending them tanks and weapons and billions of dollars and outpacing Russia's own national expenditures on, on their own defense by what, 20, 30%. Uh, we don't have to do that, but we are, and we're there and where there's no, and this is the difference between, you know, Don's generation and our generation. And, and, and now this, this current crop of people, um, there is no, there's no peace delegates. That's the telltale. Uh, there's nobody over, there's no summits. There's no overtures for anything. And then you have the, <laughs> the balloon gate or whatever it is. It just makes, I was so like a pitiful giant. And you wonder how, how much of this is manufactured. Matter of fact, I had, as we're closing out, I, I brought this story up. Let me see if I can, I'll get you guys take on it. Uh, it was about NORAD. And this is just a little blurb on on Zero Hedge. Uh, NORAD pleads incompetence over failure to spot Trump era Chinese spy balloons. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh. As the Biden administration came under fire last week for allowing a Chinese spy balloon to cross the entire United States before shooting it down off the coast of South Carolina, an anonymous U.S. Defense Department official said over the weekend that spy balloons. Uh, transisted over U.S. territory during the Trump administration. Trump and his former administration officials collectively called BS on the report, saying it never happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, lots of credibility there. Well, I, I just, I just find the whole balloon story ridiculous because uh, how, how slowly does a balloon travel? Was like the uh, worse than the OJ uh, slow speed chase of the Bronco. You know, it was very similar to that. I mean, this is incredible. I mean. It seems kind of maybe I maybe I never heard of spy balloons, but it seems to me like there'd be more sophisticated methods than sending a slow balloon, especially if you if this isn't a game. And who knows? Again, they're they're telling us it was a spy balloon. I don't believe anything they say. So who knows? But I just find it hard to believe NORAD, the same NORAD that you know, if if you know if you don't believe it was an inside job on 9-11, you have to ask why they stood down and did nothing while these planes were flying around, headed for the heart of our defense establishment, and did absolutely nothing except probably shoot a plane down over Pennsylvania and lie about it. But, you know, what do they do for the balloon? I mean, it, it's moving that slowly. I mean, couldn't they have caught it when it was over water at one point? I mean, I don't – it makes – and then they sat and looked at it for a couple of days, and Millie says we can't shoot it down. It's like – yeah, it's it's kind of like the Grammy Awards. Are there any? They don't look quite as freakish, most of them, as as you would see at the Grammys. But it's the same process. Are there any adults in charge? We saw that when the cities were burning in 2020. There doesn't seem to be anybody in charge, unless they want to just come out with another decree against the people and you know say put your masks on or whatever. But it's it's very. Everybody has a right to ask. What are we paying trillions of dollars for the the, the largest defense system the world has ever seen? when they apparently can't protect us from a balloon. No, I totally agree with you. 
about this balloon. It, it makes zero sense to me. And and the whole thing about how it, you know it moves so slowly and it's just there and, and I mean <laughs> this is nonsense. Every, every everything about it is nonsense. I don't believe it. I don't think uh, any rational person believes this story. Like what what is it? And, and let me let me just circle back to uh, to the conversation we were having before the balloon uh, um, conversation. Just just to drive a, a, a point home, uh, America has always since since the beginning. Uh, survived on war and and called it other names, you know, manifest destiny. Like, come on, right? What, what was that? Oh, we have to, God said that we have to go from one coast right. to the next and eliminate tons of people as a result. You know, uh, uh, the, Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine is another one, right? Even though I can kind of understand that to a certain degree, but it led to, to the domination of Central and South America by the United States. And we're seeing it now. We see it in Venezuela. We see it in Colombia. We see it in all these countries, what's going on. And, and in large part, the United States government, not the people, not us, not the people, the government of the United States. What is it? War is a racket. <laughs> That's my boy. Take it over, Tom. What's that? Huey Long's best friend, Smedley. I told that story. T Tony knows it. Mm -hmm. If you want to know how great Huey Long was, when Huey Long wrote My First Days in the White House, published posthumously. He was he was already assuming he was going to be president. He named his fictitious cabinet. Hmm. Secretary of War, Smedley Butler. So you know there would have been no war in a Huey Long administration. This, and and Huey, uh, Smedley Butler said at when Huey Long was assassinated, well, first he said, when he heard that, he said that was the greatest honor of his life. Wow. And when Huey Long was killed, he knew what was happening and, he, and Smedley Butler disappeared from public life. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, it's Huey Long's great granddaughter didn't even know that. And I was, I said, you know, you didn't even know they were, nobody does, but I mean, they were Smedley Butler, one of the all time great figures in American history. Yeah. Right. Much like, uh, Carrie Mullis who died right before, uh, yes. 1984, <laughs> yeah. uh, Smedley Butler died in 1941. I believe it was the summer. Of, was it, was it 41? Like the summer, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right around operation Barbara. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would have been interesting to see what I, what he would have had to say about uh, world, the good war, huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was a good war. Yeah, if you read War is a Racket, it's a, it's a good little it's a good little pamphlet. And I and I didn't mean to cut you off, Billy. I was just I was, I was backing you up. I was just saying right. this is what. And then Smedley Butler talked a lot about that, about how he was, uh, you know, running operations for the United Fruit Company and stuff when he was a Marine <laughs> in uh, in South America. We know all about that. And you know, you can there's good there's good points to the Monroe Doctrine. Just, but we violate other people's Monroe Doctrine. I mean, the Monroe Doctrine was don't colonize our hemisphere. We leave you alone. Right. You leave us alone. And now we go over and we, you know, like John Quincy Adams said, uh, America's wasn't designed to go abroad in search of monsters to destroy. Right. And we just that's all we do now. That's our our foreign policy. And it gets us into a lot of trouble. And, and the founders knew this. It's one of the reasons <laughs> they stopped reading George Washington's farewell address in the 30s, because it was time for war. Well, in, in history, I, I, I pretty much castigated La Raza, who I don't like as a group, but I learned a lot more about that when I was writing crimes and cover-ups. I learned about it again, that, you know, Polk, I mean, Lincoln was the one that set all the dangerous precedents, but a president Polk was the first president to really overstep his boundaries. And he decided to use that manifest destiny to go south and, and take over parts that have been traditionally Mexico. So, and, and I've talked about the things that you saw happen there was what we would see more in the civil war and every war since killing of civilians, raping all the stuff that, you know, American troops are known for happened then. And so groups like Araza, which I find repugnant in many ways, they have a point because we did steal land from there. And that, that's the problem is when you do these things in, in the history 
eventually it, it, it catches up to you and people know what you're doing. But yeah, Americans uh, are, and that's unfortunate because the founders, I know if Jefferson had been around, he would have been appalled at, and certainly uh, Patrick Henry and George Mason, all the great founders would have said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you, why, why are you doing that? But that's, you know, we, we haven't stopped ever since. Well, we got about uh, nine minutes right at uh, to uh, take the show to a close. And again, gentlemen, thanks so much for for joining me today. It's you know a little bit late notice, but I love filling in for. I never, I'll never say no if I have a studio and a microphone. I'm never going to say no to filling in for for David. And I want to because I I think it's good to, I, as a fellow broadcaster, nothing like David, but as a fellow broadcaster, it's good to keep the feed live. You know, and not run and try if you. If you can get away with not running a rebroadcast and, and, of course, the magnificent guard Goldsmith's filled in for me on my radio show before, which I appreciate that, trying to keep the feed live. Um, because this is a this show is driven and supported by the audience and uh, new content is is a much needed thing. And so, I you know, again, I ask the audience uh, if you can, if you are able to uh, to go to the David Knight show dot com and, and buy some products or uh, donate to David. It really helps and it helps keep the show on the air. Because this this show is unlike anything else that's out there, and believe me, I'm a connoisseur of media. I've been around for a while. There's nothing like this show. The consistency, the deep dive research, the honesty, and uh, you know, I know the Knight family. These are these are wonderful. These are real wonderful people. So if you can, you know, donate, and uh, of course, we sponsor the show, uh, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver, and you can go to DavidKnight.gold. We're building Wolfpack, um, which is really turned into something that um, I, I'm just so I'm proud of it. But in a way that it's, it's humbling because uh, we're getting, you know, more and more people are joining. The more people that join, the, the, the better prices I can get everyone. I ended up hiring uh, two full-time people uh, to be here at the shop to make sure that orders go out on time and customer service is handled. So we're growing the network. And, and uh, it's not like you if you join Wolfpack, it's not like you give me money and then you just get some access to some special information. But we send you an invoice. We show you your medals. It's just the, the more people that join, the better deals I can get. And we're going to um, I talked to the back office uh, staff uh, that have uh, access to um, my website and they're going to be able to uh, put in a chat system through Telegram. So I'm working on that. It should be within the next two to three weeks. We'll have a, a, a live chat system there for members only so you guys can share data and share like if you want to trade amongst yourselves or just we're going to start a community. It's really my answer to the central bank digital currency, which. You know, we 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 didn't mention a lot uh, today. It was you know we kind of went anti headlines a little bit from in the second and third hour, but these good discussions because really what matters right now is ideas, and uh, so we're getting in a place to where you know combating the the central bank digital currencies and the new world order or, or the great reset or whatever, um, we're we're battling that with with uh, counter counter revolutions of ideas and decentralization and uh, Wolfpack is certainly a part of that. So I I wanted to do one last plug. Before we get out of here, but let's let's do a roundtable. We'll start the the magnificent and great Billy Ray Valentine. Um, your show, The Infinite Fringe, has been around a, a good long while. A lot of people don't know how big Billy's podcast actually is. It's um, he doesn't talk about it a lot, but it's been around a while. He's got lots of listeners, uh, and you can find him anywhere podcasters serve. Pretty much, right? We can find The Fringe uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, really, you can only find it on well. You can find it in a lot of places, but you won't find it on Google Play or Spotify. I, I've never, I've never gone there. It's for the majors. It's uh, uh, Apple Podcast and on Podbean, and then anybody that's mirroring those feeds, any of these like rogue podcatchers, you can find it there. 
But uh, ultimately, it's on Apple Podcast and on Podbean. That's it. You can't find it on Google Play or anything else. But thank you for for letting me plug. It's the Infinite Fringe podbeam.com or the infinite fringe on apple podcast and of course america unplugged which we do with these fine gentlemen all all three of them even uh directed uh evolution who comes on from time to time which i love <laughs> what's up guys um yeah so uh that's uh every saturday at 12 p.m eastern so come check it out uh, Ron, you want to uh, absolutely don uh talk about donald jeffries.media your show your work your sub stack and Great. Yeah, thank Well, Donald Jeffries.media is the website. You can find out all about me there. My Substack, which I it's the only aspect, you know, I'm a, I have a big uh, shadow ban on Facebook and Twitter both uh, that I battle. And it just, Elon Musk somehow hasn't freed me from it yet on Twitter. So I'm still waiting for that emancipation there, but it hasn't happened. But uh, but still, you can you can follow me there at Don Jeffries, and maybe they'll let you. Maybe you'll see some tweets. But uh, Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. My Substack, which is called I Protest, just like my Friday show, which live streams 5 to 7 p.m. on rockfin.com and all the uh, usual suspects uh, places. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm promoting Substack because that's the only place that it right now is allowing free speech, for me at least, and where my presence is growing. So, And my books are coming out. My book, uh, Masking, I'm going to have three books this year, Masking the Truth, but the COVID narrative coming out very soon, whenever I put it out, uh, Skyhorse basically wants hidden history theory, although I'm in a, I'm in a bit of a, of a dispute about uh, money with him, surprisingly enough. So hopefully we'll get that worked out. And then I have a Beatles book coming out, a light and fluffy thing that I wrote with Bob Wilson that'd be coming out soon. So I should have three books out in some order this year. But Donald Jeffries, that media is the place to, to go for everything you want to know. I, w- I want to start lining up the interviews as soon as possible, Don. We got to get you over mm-hmm. on my podcast. I know everybody else is going <laughs> to have you on. There's a lot of good. I, I, I was reading Don Jeffries' books long before I ever talked to Don Jeffries. And, uh, <laughs> it, a lot of his information is in my head, and I, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Gar Goldsmith, uh, tell people where they can find your magnificent program. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. And thanks to all you guys for being here. Uh, yeah, Tony, same thing with me reading Don's books, too. And it's it's a real pleasure, Don. Really, really great. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, maybe the best thing uh, people want to check out my uh, my new show that you know started a couple weeks ago over on Rockfin. Uh, that's every night at six o'clock. Uh, just look up Gardner Goldsmith or Liberty Conspiracy. It's Liberty Conspiracy Live. Usually we run to about 730 and I cover uh, news stories. And uh, tonight looks like we're going to have uh, our guest will be Eric Peters of uh, Eric Peters Autos, EP Autos. That'll be cool. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to talk about the problems of professional licensing and uh, how that weaves over, of course, as we were discussing into licensing, just to be able to get on the Internet because uh, they're working towards that. And if they can uh, push for one, they'll keep pushing. Uh, so yeah, the, the, uh, Rockfin show every night, Monday through Friday. And then my Substack, Gardner Goldsmith Substack, and then MRCTV.org. If people want to find out uh, my stuff, I got my bio over there and they've got YouTube videos. And then we've got Liberty conspiracy videos on BitChute, on rumble and on Odyssey and on my Substack. And we're hoping to go live on all of those plus YouTube. And then there's my fiction. Uh, so people can look up the, you know, the Amazon Gardner Goldsmith, just put my name in and you'll see some of my work and uh, that'll be it. And I just wanted to mention, you know, reflecting on seeing all you guys here, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the, the nightly presence of David Knight and uh, the, the man who, you know, was sick today, couldn't be here. And uh, you know, prayers going out for quick recovery, not anything super serious right now. It looks like just, you know, sick and um so uh i just want to say you know uh just the most fortuitous meeting 
to be able to contact David for an MRC TV project I was doing and then meeting him at Gerald Salente's uh, early spring event a couple of years ago where David was speaking up in Kingston, New York and uh, meeting Karen and Travis and getting to know all you guys. Um, it is it is the remnant and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, David, prayers to you. God love you, sir. And uh, all the Knight family and all you guys, you're fantastic people and all the people in the chat, including Knights of the Storm. Absolutely. Knights of the Storm. We didn't plug that enough at all today. So I'll go and check out Knights of the Storm and uh, we'll see. We'll see if uh, David needs another day off. If he does, Gard and I will we'll get the program going. We'll figure something out in the interim. And uh, we just appreciate everybody who joined today. You can find me at Arterburn.news or WiseWolfGoldAndSilver.com. It's been a great privilege filling in for the great David Knight and uh, always appreciate everybody tuning in. We will play the outro now. Let's see if I can get this done. There it is. <laughs> I did that right. Awesome. <laughs> we appreciate it. Take care of each other, everybody. End of transmission. <laughs>